to What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is The Shining. Brad Rob. Go ahead and pop in your DVD Rob. or blurry. Press play, press pause. When the Warner Brothers logo fades to black. At the moment, the Warner Brothers all black. <laughs> press pause. And in a keep second, going, I'll going. say three, two, yeah. one, on pause. Which point, I'll press play. You'll press play. Watch the movie. It'll be in the commentary. So, friends, you have this. Anyway, my name is always Teague Christie. I'm here with Brian William Fenifter. Greetings. Michael Dorkman <laughs> Scott. He barrel rolled right back to his feet. That was great. And Trey the Amazing Stokes. Trey's up. not here, Mrs. Torrance. Anyway, this is the American version. It's 144 minutes long, 2 hours 24. Uh, if you have the European version... Um, You're screwed. Uh, pause a lot. Anyway, yeah. uh, this movie, uh, this is... We're doing another Kubrick film. Everyone, Everyone's psyched. Um, Woo! <laughs> This was, for a long time, my least favorite of the Kubrick I had seen, which was Strange Love This and Full Metal Jacket. Since, Wait, then, I've, since then, I've seen Lolita. Strange, strange, oh, Strange Love. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Strange Love. What do yes. you think I said? Strange Love. And I was like... Yeah, how calculating of me to say Strange Love when I was referring to Dr. Strange Love. <laughs> anyway. Uh, he said, like strange, to, he said like strange love. I'm like, wait, he's trying don't. to disorientate you, Trey. Yes, that's how you, that's how, because he's a genius. It's with a German accent. Yes. Uh, this was my least favorite, and uh, going back to it, it's 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 really weird to see what happens when at the time there's a lot of conjecture that they said this is Stanley trying to do a a, a wide appeal but Stanley Kubricky kind of movie, and and it's weird to see the overlap there because it's it's really not that at all. Uh, all the all the EPK, I say EPK, but it's in 1980. I don't know the documentary stuff they had with interviews and shit like that that I was watching this morning. They're like, this is him trying to do sort of like a mass appeal movie, but it's, it's I don't think it worked. Uh, it's very Kubricky. It's it's very dense and kind of hard to get through if you're not psyched up for it to be a Kubrick film because otherwise it's like. Where's the guy with the gun? Yeah, and why was, why isn't there stuff happening all the time? It was after Barry Lyndon was a bomb. He was like, yeah. I need to make something. We're gonna commercial. make something mainstream. Yeah, I'll base it on a you know a bestseller. There's a great documentary. It's on. Uh, I don't know if it's on this DVD, but I know it's on a lot of them, and also on YouTube is where I watched it, where his daughter Vivian Kubrick yeah. was 19 or something like that. 17. That out. 17. I, I didn't even think of YouTube. I want. I wanted to check it out before this, but I didn't. It's have all a DVD. on there, and uh, it's actually two whole versions of it on two different people's channels at this point. But it's cool, and it's really weird to see Stanley Kubrick walking around and talking with an American accent. I don't know why I thought he was British. He lived in England forever. He's just he's yeah, an American. He's, he's an American. All of his characters. He's all from New York. Yeah. Uh, he's all, and he looks a little bit like Peter Jackson. And he's <laughs> he does. He's uh, he's he seems genial. A little short on on the word side, but genial. The thing is, Jack Nicholson doesn't. Jack Nicholson scares the fuck out of me. Not the character. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah. Like he's yeah. he's he's like talking around trying to be playful with the seventeen year old girl behind the camera, and it's like. Hey, it's just the video. Oh God, it's fucking weird. Which anyway. I wonder how much is just the general mind space that he's in for the whole shoot, because that's like the general character. <laughs> how much is know? Jack Nicholson? And how much is just Jack Nicholson on yeah. any fucking? Given I have day? no idea. Anyway, The Shining know. is great. Uh, it is Kubricky, but we're gonna figure it out, and we're going to uh, we're going to talk a little bit about other found internet analysis of The Shining and, and <laughs> how we feel about that. I will cut your face. <laughs> yeah, here but we until, go. <laughs> until then, Brian, how do you feel about The Shining? Uh, you know, as, as we've talked about before, I'm a huge Kubrick fan, and I had a huge Kubrick phase. Um, but actually, I, we watched this at, at some point in the in the recent uh, past, in the past year or so, or two years. And, you know, in, in the process of doing Down in Front and kind of really... Uh, getting a better grasp on story and the mechanics of story, I, I, watching this again and going, wow, this is not... This story is a fucking mess. Um, I, I mean, Kubrick is very, you know, un- undisputably an, an acknowledged master of, of filmmaking, but as we've talked about before with some of his other movies, it's like he... 
either it's hard to tell if it's a choice or if he's not good yeah it's 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 hard to tell whether he just doesn't give a, a fuck about because story he's a genius <laughs> yeah or you know he's he's doing his weird kubrick thing and right. it's 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 like a spiral of appeal to authority or a boris thing where it's just i can't he's, yeah, no, he's, so he's bad because he's a genius because he's bad because he's a genius because no, it's, yeah, it's a circular it. argument if yeah. he's rotten yeah. or wonderfully brave he can't right. do he can't do anything bad because he's a genius if it looks bad you're just wrong yeah right then you don't, you don't well, recognize I think, the genius i think he's definitely he at least in it's definitely this period i don't know i haven't seen barry Lyndon in a long time so i can't speak to it but with definitely with full metal jacket um 2001 Space Odyssey and and this The Shining you actually look at the story structure and it really does not make any fucking sense with Full Metal Jacket because Jack- he's a genius yeah uh, sure uh, with Full Metal Jacket you can make the argument like I did on the commentary of well that's that is kind of the point because that's war and there's there's no structure to war there's no point to it in 2001 like you can make the point it's space it's space and there is a structure there it does it does exist in the underlying material but you have to figure it out and you can make the argument that that's the right. point of 2001 that none of those none of those justifications really exist with the shining and it the shows. story the story is still a mess <laughs> and it's like okay it's just always struck me as weird that the shining shows up in people's like top 10 horror films like it should it, it's, it's rightfully there it, it has it's just amazing this never feels films. to me you like think Shyamalan watched this movie a couple times oh, yeah. i think so i yeah. was watching i was watching this just <laughs> last night and i was like oh that's what Shyamalan thinks yeah. he's doing right okay. cuz it always struck me as more like even as little as Silence of the Lambs strikes me as a horror movie when I do Recall My Brain, he did, oh, Silence of the Lambs. Horror movie. Like, it comes afterwards, not before. Like, horror movie, Dawn of the Dead. Silence of the Lambs, oh, yeah, horror movie, I guess. This doesn't even come, like, my brain doesn't even put that connection there. This just goes art house in my head somehow. It belongs on the list because it's fucking terrifying, but it's always... It's a little more... It's more psychological. I mean, you yeah, can... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a better word. You now. can make the argument that, you know, none of this is even happening. You know, right. you can right. have all Well, that's that. the thing is there's so many different paths you can take, and they all pretty much have the same amount of justification, which is about half. I mean, we've leveled <laughs> this criticism at other movies, at, uh, at Chronicles of Riddick, where it's like, there's any number of, like, half explanations going on, but the movie doesn't settle on any of them. And really, if we're looking at it objectively, that's the same thing that's going on here with The Shining. Dorkman? Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't really have a Kubrick phase, but I did have a major Stephen King phase. Yeah, um, good man. And um, you know, read The Shining and stuff like that. And uh, which is a great book. Is you know, there's an entire chapter of just a, a fire hose sitting there. That's yeah, just fucking scariest, scariest thing. fire hose you've ever yeah, in, um, in literature <laughs> history. But um, uh, you're watching this again yesterday because I watched it once, but it went completely over my head when I was, you know, 11 or whatever. Um, and I watched it again last night in preparation for this. And it's, de- I mean, I mean, there are legitimately scary moments, especially building right to the end. The, the scene in the maze mm-hmm. is actually is terrifying. Right. Um, but my, my issue with it was actually Nicholson. Um, and I and I discovered that that my issue uh, was the same as as Stephen, Stephen King's King? own yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I know where you're in, going with this. In one, researching yeah. it, um, because when I'm watching it, and 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 knowing sort of the book, it's been a while since I read it, but I watch it, and 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 I'll point it out. There is no it's it's like the joke we made in uh, in Spider Man about Willem <laughs> yeah. Dafoe. There is no <laughs> sense that this guy was ever sane. Yeah. There was no sense that this was ever a yeah. good man who was driven mad yeah. by by a haunted hotel. This is a fucked up guy from the word go, um, and and that's the problem. You're, there's no there's no sense of descent into madness. It's like they get to the hotel and he's already fucking screaming at his <laughs> wife and, and being insane. And it's like, I, I wanted to see if you, we, we, 
it's like we've talked about before. You have to see the scene of the normal world to get a yeah. sense that things are getting fucked up. But mm-hmm. all we ever see is him behaving like that, and you don't get that sense. And also the the um, uh, also Stephen King's criticism and kind of like we were talking about. There's it doesn't feel like a haunted hotel as much as it could. A I mean, fucked up man. There's yeah. There's not there's. He he really downplays the element of the supernatural, um, and I wish there was more of it. I wish it were more of a ghost story as opposed to just, yeah, a, a, a fucked up guy with an axe. Trey? Well, I, uh, Darkman will know this. Uh, that You can you can tell that, that Kubrick, uh, you know, as, as we've said in other things, is like, you know, its story is probably not his main concern. I mean, it's Kubrick. Yeah. Kubrick is one of those guys who, you know, he, he was very lucky. He got to make movies the way he wanted to make them, mm-hmm. however that happened. And uh, with and a lot of money behind them, exactly, somehow. and that's great. It's like yeah. again, I you know I'm all for you know as much we we, we rail all the time about oh what a formulaic you know crappy Hollywood movie. Well, he didn't make those. He made you know he made movies he wanted to make, and 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 God bless him for that. And and you you need to look no further than what happened to The Shining, where he more or less follows the plot of the book, except for he completely changes the ending to make it as uncinematic as possible. The original ending of the book is like yeah, that's written to be a movie. That's you know right there. It's like it's right there on the page with the the hotel like the, blowing the hotel up. Hotel explodes. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's set up and it's. Set it's, up perfectly it, because in the beginning he's walked through the whole thing and and, the, and be the, careful of the boiler the because if you don't if you don't keep uh, the boiler timed you know it's like yeah. you, that's one of the things he has to do is if they you have to keep the heat on if you don't occasionally release the pressure in the boiler it's just going to creep and creep and creep and eventually explode and because he's distracted trying to murder his family he forgets to, <laughs> yeah. to release the pressure on the boiler well you and, know I mean things come up yeah and the, <laughs> yeah and the whole place yeah exactly. and the whole place goes up which exactly exactly so, and then so the, the movie you know more or less follows the plot of the book you know for, uh, fairly faithfully um, and then completely doesn't do that you know it's like you know so so for Kubrick to go I'm not going to have the you know the big Hollywood ending where the, you know, the whole fucking place explodes that any other filmmaker would have gone I can't wait to do that um, Kubrick went a different direction so you know that's that's he, again it was all about the character and and uh, but uh, but I agree that the the issue uh, is it's a little weird that you know, Jack Nicholson is like crazy from the get go. Yeah. Now, now, mm. once he's supposed to be crazy, it's awesome. yeah. Or then he's great. Yeah, it's perfect. The, and again, that's it's from the book. But I, I do agree with 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 King that it's really kind of the performance, uh, you know, and the actor and just what the actor brings to it just by being the actor because because the character is very haunted in the book. They, yes. Like like Stephen King's standard thing, and it's a common thread through a lot of Stephen King's work is characters have a dark past that they're trying to escape from. Yeah. And uh, and the character in The Shining has this, you know, he did a bad thing when he was, and he's still like, you know, the, his family is still like, is he going to do that again or not? Because it's all about drinking. It's all about how he was an alcoholic and he did terrible things when he was drinking and is he going to be drinking again? So, so all that's there, but I think it is an issue of a different actor might have, you know, played that trying to be under control guy rather than, that guy's fucking yeah. crazy that you get from Nicholson. Yeah. But, uh, King wanted John Voight. Yeah. Among there you go. A guy yeah. you Robert Williams was also mentioned I was reading, which would have been really That would have been really kind of interesting. My favorite, my favorite uh, comment was, because of those two suggestions, Kubrick says, I don't want John Voight because he's, he's not psychotic enough. I don't want Robin Williams because he's too psychotic. He's too, psychotic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too psychotic. More psychotic than Jack Nicholson. But overall, um, I haven't seen The Shining in a little while, but... Um, and it's not like a movie I go, I'm going to pop in The Shining and settle yeah. in for an evening watching The Shining. Um, but uh, partly because the scenes that's, that are scary um, are really scary. And, uh, and I'll, I'll, when we get into it, I'll tell a, a personal story about my actual experience of the first time I saw The Shining um, that still to this day makes me not want to watch it alone. So I'm glad we're here together in the daytime. This is a safe place, Trey. Thank you. Anyway, we're at the point where the Warner Brothers logo has faded to black like we are here. Put your finger on the button. Three, two, 
one on pause and we get this badass right off the bat shot yeah. i love the way this starts looks. right off yeah uh and was, i don't know if this is one of them but uh you know kubrick is such a genius that he used stock footage from blade runner yeah uh the these flyovers i don't know if this is one of them no but i think blade runner blade runner that's the other the other way around yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's how much of a genius he is that <laughs> blade runner ridley scott that hack there's something uh, interesting. That's right. That's, yeah, I had it backwards. I, on that, one of the documentaries I watched, I don't remember if it was uh, A Life in Pictures or if it was actually Vivian Kubrick's documentary, but it would have been the second one. I'm sorry, it would have been the first one. It would have been A Life in the Pictures, uh, where they're interviewing everyone. They have people from the movies. They have people that worked with them, people, and they do his entire career. It's a really cool documentary. It's really interesting, and you learn something, not much, about Stanley Kubrick over the course of it. But there was an interview with a, like an executive, uh, someone who, who maybe owned Warner Brothers, something like that, operated Warner Brothers, a really high-up executive, who had this somehow really cogent and interesting point about Stanley Kubrick, which was, I find that, and you might notice this with all the filmmaker interviews you're doing, because they did have you know Spielberg and everyone. And oh, you can blatantly see the helicopter shadow. Yeah. Uh, shadow. Oh. I, I find that filmmakers... Now, but, now but the reason he mind. did that... No, here's what blows your mind, though. I think this is the same shot where you know there's a helicopter there. You know it's a full-size helicopter, and look how fucking close it gets to this car. Yeah, <laughs> right up on this freaking Volkswagen. Guys looking in the rearview mirror like, ah! And that's a wide-angle lens. Yeah. Yeah, so how close so it did was, it really go? And, and by the way, I think you know you, you don't want to fool around with Stanley Kubrick too much. But if they did a special edition, if someone went in, this this is screaming out for some David Fincher titles tracked to the landscape oh, and oh stuff like God, that. Yeah. None is of it, this is it ever. Yeah, none these of, are some pretty pretty lame. None of these scrolling Scroll. up. Scrolling like Word 95. Anyway, you were saying about the documentary? Interesting point he made was, uh, I'm sure you'll find that when you're talking to a lot of the filmmakers over the course of this interview, like he's addressing the interviewer when he's saying this, but they use it in the the thingy, uh, that a lot of filmmakers have a rather, and I like this word, uncomplicated love for Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) Yes. Where critics do not. And I think that's partly because the filmmakers are jealous (laughs) of his role in this and how he gets to somehow Kubrick his way through Stories that people don't quite understand half the time, but pictures that are iconic. If they feel like they could get away with that, they would just do that forever. And yeah, some, and because, because I think... Because he can put together an image. He really can. Oh, yeah. Uh, he started out as, as a life photographer. That's how he, he got started. But there's a... Probably headshots, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and then he went from being a life photographer to doing uh, short documentaries. Um, but there there is definitely this quality of, like, he just can just... Do whatever the fuck he wants for as long. He can do hundreds of takes if he wants until he feels like he has it right. And good God, who who wouldn't want that that kind of a luxury? It's like we gave fucking Rob. Uh, what's oh shit? Well, well my, my today's brain. today's version is is James Cameron or Dave, eh. David Fincher. David well, Fincher, J- James, David Fincher's the king of millions of takes. Well, J- well, James Cameron is is the guy who goes. I need three more years. <laughs> no, I didn't get that. I need three more years to... Yeah, and, but he, he had to make Titanic to become that guy. Well, yes, yes. I don't think you get either of those guys without Kubrick, though. Yeah. By the way... Uh, then again, you might not get the, Kubrick without Orson Welles. During that flyover, where was the maze? It's right outside the hotel, and yeah. yet it yeah. wasn't there. What, 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 what? Which was... Because Kubrick is a genius. Up. You want to do it now, or you want no, to do it later? No, we'll say... No, we can, uh, we the, can start, though, because well, he talks a, about... I just wanted to key off on one thing. There's another, while we're talking about documentaries, another documentary that I think was an HBO documentary, and I don't know if it's available anywhere else, but it's called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. And it's another fascinating documentary. It's about how after he died, his wife and daughter, um, Stanley, every project he did for his whole career, he would just take everything from it and throw it in boxes. And he still had them in storage in this giant shed out back of the house. They had this monstrous shed that had just these boxes that hadn't been opened in, you know, whenever the film was done, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And Geraldo hadn't heard about it, I guess. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and so it was all about, well, I guess it's time to do something with those darn boxes. And so it was all about the process of having 
you know, curators and film historians come in and systematically open up the boxes to see what was in them. And they're just finding these amazing things, you know, videotapes and books of notes and scribblings and, and just, you know, all this great stuff. And it's all about, you know, just a retrospective of Kubrick's career sort of through the eyes of his wife and daughter, you know, and finding things that even they were like, oh, look at this. You know, they didn't know what was in there. Um, so that's another really recommended book. Shelley Duvall. Uh, uh, documentary. I go back and forth between, and these are, I'm using the words that I want to use on both ends here, between thinking she's really pretty or a monster. <laughs> she's very Not un- unattractive, she's but very a unconventional, monster. Yeah. I, I talk about casting. I really like the casting of her because uh, she, you know, you buy that this is like, you know, you buy that she's exactly who this character is supposed to be. You know, this she's a, just an average gal who's, uh, you know, in a in a not so great marriage, but she's trying to keep it together. And you know, she's a, she's Marge Simpson. I mean, she's totally Marge yeah, Simpson. She really is. It's funny. She, just just to pile her hair straight up. And Danny is good too. Danny is really good. Yeah, all things considered, especially especially with the you know him playing Danny and playing Tony there's some really great moments there I mean the finger thing is maybe a little weird um, and apparently that's just something the kid decided to do and Kubrick was like love it um, <laughs> but there, you see these shifts in the kid when he goes back and forth between Danny and Tony where he's he's got these emotions and he's scared and then he goes completely flat when he's when he's talking as Tony and then the emotion all comes back and I'm like there are uh, grown ups who can't pull that off that, yeah. that can do that, that yeah. flip between the one state and the other yeah and he, he's like some other kids who were in big famous movies um, he never really did much else did he no they were saying in the in the Vivian Kubrick documentary uh, in her commentary for her documentary she said something like yeah he just decided he didn't want to do it anymore no. not that he had a bad experience he's just like eh, yeah actually actually else. apparently um, Kubrick was very protective of him and didn't want him to have a bad experience and didn't want to like fuck up his life. Yeah, but yeah which <laughs> could easily be the case. Yeah. He didn't have that sort of compulsion for Shelley uh, Duvall at all, though. No, no, no not, not so much. No, there's some uh, and Vivian. Uh, what's her name? Fucking is it Vivian Kubrick? Vivian Kubrick, yeah, has it's this his daughter. One particular piece of what I'm sure ended up being damning footage that followed him for the rest of his life. But it's this piece of footage where he's he's almost. Um, He's acting like he's not even aware there's a camera behind him, but he, he has to be because it was a giant camera. But he's like going he's going off on Shelley Duvall. And what happened was it was a scene where she's in a little shack. And uh, I guess they had said, like, she all she has from the other side of the door is they can hear the guy with the megaphone when he talks. So it's like, all right, ready, speed, and we're stopping, stopping. And then Shelley, action. And she didn't react fast enough. And Kubrick, and that's her side of this, and Kubrick came out and just like, read her the fucking riot act. Like, you need to be ready, you need to be this, that, and the other. She's like... And then later in that same documentary, there's this weird Stockholm Syndrome as shit footage of Shelley Duvall going, you know, I really respect him now, and I understand what he was doing, and he was just trying to get me to do my thing, and I wasn't doing... It's like, battered wife. But at the same time, I I believe that that's probably true. I mean, she's got to spend, and she does an amazing job, she's got to spend this entire movie pretty much in a constant state of hysteria. Yeah. And that is so hard yeah. to do, and so he had to drive her to such a difficult thing point. to maintain as yeah. an emotional state. There's the, the, the bit of footage from that documentary that actually creeped me out the most was because in a moment like that, you know, emotions run high, people get very stressful in that moment of like, why didn't you go when I called action and I fucking, we got all this snow machine going out? Like, that happens. That happens all the time, and as an isolated incident, it's not a big deal. The The moment from that documentary that creeped me out the most was, it. part of her, she was, um, it comes out later, that 
she was so stressed and just so put upon that her hair literally started to fall out during the production. Oh, and then she like shows Stanley. And there's there's a bit in the documentary. She goes, "Look, my hair is falling out." And she grab he grabs like a couple of strands and like shows it to the camera to Vivian's Kinda documentary like camera. Like a little bit. Like, ha ha, look at this. Like, okay, that is a <laughs> but really then a second later, He turns around and says, "I don't sympathize. It's not going to help you." It's like, yeah. Do you think she chose to have her hair fall out? Yeah, she's doing it to get attention. It's not a choice. Clearly. Yeah. It's well. This comes down to the whole, you know. It's just hard to know where Stanley falls on the compassionate side. It's the, the whole director actor thing, you know. Everyone's got their different way of doing it, and some some do it, uh, you know. And that, I guess, that's we could almost call that method directing. Yeah. It's like yeah. uh, you know, it's like I want the actress to be scared. I'm going to scare her. Let me just scare and and which it, which is a perfectly valid can you know, work. I mean, there they can approach. I've it's also inter- easy to retcon a dick into I that. Think I've read yeah. interviews with actresses who say they want that, but as long as they know that it's like. It's just for the moment, right? You know, it's like yeah. you know, I, it's like I need to be scared. Feel free to scare me. Go ahead, you know, and right. all that. Well, and, there's, the, uh, there's you know, Sidney Lumet had to get. Well, I was, I was actually, I was actually going to mention this, because yeah. um, I had that thought, you know, uh, reviewing all of this stuff, and I know we had talked about, you know, and Lumet's point was, you know, the, so the story goes, you know, you need an act, his actress to cry, and she wouldn't. She was just blocked, and she was getting really frustrated about it. So he just walks up to her, you know, in between takes and, and slaps her and, you know, hauls her off one. <laughs> Let's roll. And it and it, it it works. It breaks the dam. And, and, and she, she cried. Go, and, Sidney. Yeah. yeah. And then there and, was and a so, lawsuit. And so, well, he writes in his writing his book, making movies about, you know, I felt really good about it at the time. But then I realized what a terrible thing and what a violation of and a disrespect it she was. was. And she was she was and she was fine with it. She was fine with it because for the same reason she was like, I was blocked and you got it out and I was really upset. But that's what the moment needed. And you're you know, it's it's great because now it looks great on film. It makes me look good. But but, but Lumet afterwards and in his book, he goes, you know, I decided never to do anything yeah. like that again. And thinking about watching, you know, in the process of watching The Shining again, I was thinking about that going, you know what? A slap is really not that big of a deal. Yeah. 30 seconds later, you've forgotten it's ever happened. Compare to that compared moment. Compared to a year. Ongoing compared abuse. to that <laughs> isolated moment of m- very minor physical abuse to a year's worth of emotional. Just psychological cruelty. Endurance yeah. marathon abuse. I, I, I think it's too cruel. I don't, I don't think I, you can think direct so that too. way, personally. I, I, I mean, well, I, I don't get, think I can direct that way. You do what you want, but I'll think it's mean. I, for, for isolated <laughs> well clearly you're not a genius yeah, exactly <laughs> for isolated moments yeah I could see method directing and scaring or slapping or whatever but a sustained year's yeah. worth of I think is a whole other ball game I forgot to mention the TV tropes Pavlich will be uh, troping for this and he uh, points out one of the early ones which sort of you know obviously comes into play repeatedly but more substantially towards the end but alien geometries and it's basically a point about how any sort of semi-labyrinthine or labyrinthine setup has inherent horror in it because you don't know exactly what's going on and you have problems with that, which might later come up in our discussion that's of spatial that's, reasoning. Yeah, that's what makes bit. the maze scene scary to yes. me. Right, because yeah. you don't know anything. Yeah. By the way, I had a thought. I was looking at in that documentary. This is a weird sort of semi-related thing, but there's the, there's they had a small little scale version of the maze. Yeah. They didn't have time to paint it or build it to scale, <laughs> but it was great, Doc. And it occurred to me that if you're ever in a maze like that, if you make four right turns... And you still and you don't see a way out. Just go back because that's going to be a spiral. There's if it if you've gone all the way around once and you didn't see a way out at any point except for the way you came, there isn't going to be one beyond well, that. The, the, There's no way to escape that. The it's old, just going to go in on itself. The old advice is if you want to get out of a maze, just, just put your hand on one wall. Well, just continue turning left because sooner or later you're just going to keep you're you're going to find your way there. You're not going to end up because if you go left and right and left, you lose your way. So you're, you're going to end up the same idea. They're actually the same idea stated two different ways. It's just rather yeah. than like try and follow just. You know, the, because of the toroidal, you know, the actual yeah. physics of what a maze is, if you just keep your hand on a surface and or just follow a wall, which is the same idea, just keep turning left. 
It's it's really blood already. What yeah. the yeah. blood? That's funny. Usually the blood gets off on yeah, the second floor. Yeah, that's right. Usually the blood gets off. The shinning. Usually the blood gets off on the second floor. Uh, yeah, that's, the, that's the, Simpsons. the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, the shinning that they did. That, yeah. That's one of the sued? best ones. Yeah, the that shinning. was one of their best ones. It's funny. You've got the shinning. The what? Don't We don't want to be sued. Don't you mean the shining? Shut in. The shinning. I love the way Bart says it. Don't you mean the shining? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's actually Don't the, get sued. It's actually you know, there's no reason they can't say the shining. They just made a whole thing out of it. It's called the shinning. So, uh, what were we talking about? We're just talking uh, about mazes. Oh, the maze. Just the talking maze. about blood. Now, now the maze is um, another change from the book, but a good one. Yeah, because it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, and the, what they, at the time, it, now we even even now it's like. I think if they did what was in the book, they could do it completely photo real, and it would still be bullshit. Right, right. That you would still they, laugh your ass off. Uh, there are topiary animals in the book that come to life and, and yes. try to eat them. Sounds like it was written by Stephen King. Some shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like uh, some Stephen King would come up and, with. And actually, I mean, we talk about um, you know Kubrick doing his thing, and maybe the story gets a little wonky because I think the the plot is fairly straightforward. But but like we talked about the. The issue with the story is that I don't see th- – this isn't really a descent into madness. I don't really know what this story is about. It's just a lot of fucked up things happening, and they're yeah. scary, yeah. which which may be all that he was going for. You know, um, The result is weird because the moments that are the scariest are the moments with Jack Nicholson. And right. the reason the movie doesn't work entirely, if that's the argument, is Jack well, Nicholson. Well, the, the reason it doesn't, uh, for me, work as a story is because Jack Nicholson is playing – he he is he's not quite one, well I guess yes he's playing one note at different octaves basically <laughs> is, what, is what he's doing um but uh uh yeah that that's but but when when that's right for the moment for the for the latter half of the movie where that's what we need he he does great but what i was going to say is that um in the late 90s, 97, I think it was, there was a TV miniseries version of The Shining. Yeah. With Stephen Weber. With Stephen Weber. Much, which more, was, much more faithful to the book. Right. Which is much more faithful to the book, but not nearly as scary or really entertaining, yeah. as I recall. And yeah. they did the it topiary pretty, animals. It was okay. It was all right. Did they do they the topiary the animals? Yep. I don't even remember that off? from that. But, Maybe uh, I didn't see TV that part. CG. Really? Yeah. In the yeah. 90s on TV? Yeah. Well, it was... It didn't uh, look great, but... Mick, Mick, Mick Garris, actually, is Mick the guy Garris. who's had the most success uh, with television miniseries based on Stephen yeah. King, because he did The Stand, yeah. which uh, has never been done as a movie, but, uh, you know... Although he, they're talking about it They're t- still talking about it, but the, the, what he does that's been really great is, and uh, he's done quite a few, because King likes... What Garris does, you know, that uh, and Garris is extremely faithful to the yeah, work. That's why he likes it exactly. But, but the, I think he but, could but, bring a little of. But know. part of the reason is because he does them as TV miniseries, so they're actually like four and six and eight hours long. I mean, The Stand was like five or four movies, yeah, TV movies. Uh, the Langoliers even. And uh, we talked about that in some other commentary. The Langoliers, uh, you know, they literally did every word of the novella. And if you do every word of a novella, you have two two-hour movies. Yeah. So that's why books always have to be cut down because Langoliers isn't even a full novel. <laughs> and to do the entire faithful start-to-finish story of the Langoliers with every line of dialogue right from the book, you need four hours just to do that much. Um, and that's another case like the Topiary Animals in that, in that one too, if you ever see the Langoliers. Because Langoliers is awesome until the Langoliers show yeah. up. Um, and I've told this story in another commentary, so I won't go into it too much. But uh, it's one of those things that works on the page. But if you realize it on screen, it's bullshit. You go, eh? <laughs> and it's really unfortunate because otherwise the Langoliers is, 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 is great. It's a great story and, uh, and a really faithful adaptation. She doesn't and, look like a smoker. Like, that she, in real <laughs> she doesn't look like smoker. she knows what she's doing with that. No. no. But, uh, but the, Mick Garris did, uh, he did The Stand, which was pretty, pretty good. Um, he, did, uh, he did Desperation. 
which was really good actually. I thought Desperation was. Uh, I actually never saw Desperation. Desperation is really uh, is really uh, is it Desperation or is it the uh, the other companion one? No, uh, it's not no, the regulators. It's Desperation. It's Desperation. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. the regulators. Desperation's pretty good, pretty and pretty dark. I mean, it's pretty shocking what happens in Desperation. Um, I'm actually I, I'd actually be interested in seeing um a you know another uh, miniseries or something because because for a while part of the problem with with uh, Stephen King ABC miniseries. It's always ABC. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King miniseries is that it's it's network primetime TV. You can't do a lot of the shit that Stephen yeah, King does. Um, but uh, but now things on TV, if they they're pushing things more and more on TV. So I'd there's be interested some, in seeing There's some pretty it. amazing stuff in yeah. Desperation for for network TV. Mm, I'll have to check that out. If she doesn't ask soon, I'm gonna explode. Yeah, <laughs> put, it, put it in. Put it in. It's gonna land on your shit. You're See, gonna have a dusty you're little start arm. a fire. That's that's almost something that I that I'd be willing to consider someone going. Kubrick did that just to fucking make you like this entire scene. <laughs> it wasn't Billy Joel. It was Shelley Duvall. Well, it's just a, it's an extended take, you know, and she's you yeah. know, she's just going. So it's gonna fall. <laughs> he's he's creating tension. Yeah, exactly. He's creating tension with that cigarette ash. Shit with ash is that you can't. It's hard to get it off of cloth because if you just you, like you have to like turn it upside down and shake it and hope you don't rub it in at all because then it's like I have to wash this now. Shit, it's just so small that it gets into the clothing. Yeah. So this is this is She's the scary looking. this is right from the from the book. I mean, this is the idea that back when yeah. uh, so this is the he broke he broke the kid's arm. He in broke the book his son's as arm opposed to the, dislocating you know, him. Yeah. But. And uh, you know, and it's just, it's this haunting thing, and it's it, again that's a that's a king trope if there if you yeah. could call it that is 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 uh, you know everyone's got something in their past that in the in the book that in the book in question will come back and bite them in the ass, uh, and and so that's that's his is you know back when he used to drink and he was. You know, a bad guy, and he's trying not to be that guy anymore. Except he's clearly insane. Yeah, yeah. Th- right here, this scene coming up. This is the moment where we need the save the cat. This is the moment where we have to see him being in a a warm, loving relationship with these two. So we right. care about what's going on trying, with them. Yeah, trying to be a good if, person. If there's trying to be a good person and showing, because in the because in the book, it's very clear that that he really does love them. He's got this. He's got this darkness. He's got this violence in his heart that that he he has to suppress but but he genuinely cares about them whereas you get none of that from Jack yeah. Nicholson you, you can almost you just got Colonel Jessup over there yeah even like, yeah. even just looking at him he's like oh man i'm going to if they don't yeah. stop talking i'm going to kill both of them right here it's it's you know? like you could probably like bring it down to this scene it's like it this scene needed to be reshot yeah. if you could just like okay just please like you said you know just a Show us five five minutes of him being like not a douchebag to his to his wife and kid. You know what that oddly reminds me of? That reminds me of the and it's it's oh, arguable. Lord Jesus. <laughs> well, say. what doesn't? It's uh, <laughs> depends on if you think it's the actor or the uh, the writing or both. But it reminds me of Anakin Skywalker in the prequel trilogy. Because at the beginning of the prequel trilogy, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to see that he's a good pilot, he's a good friend thing. And he was never well. He was a good pilot, but he was never a good friend. They never got along. He was always kind of an asshole. They like tried, the entire prequels. It was talking about how Anakin was a good guy, and now he's becoming a. He's always been kind of a. <laughs> they, dip. they never a good. They tried never to retcon that. Be a good yeah, guy. they tried to retcon that in Revenge of the Sith. There's like one scene where they're cool, yeah. and you see the warmth of their relationship. It's like, wow, that's only nine hours too late. Yeah. So that, uh, you know, that's just like a weird wrong-footed scene they all are, which I clearly I'm not getting it because Kubrick is a genius but the you know the, the whole idea is like not only is he like sort of being you know curse and you know to tur- you know terse and, and and mean to his just but he tells the story of the Donner party well they were snowbound and they ate each other <laughs> is that what we call foreshadowing dad could be <laughs> anyway that, anyway that, that's what we call Chekhov's story son <laughs> yeah anyway 
Chekhov's story. <laughs> I'm just going to put this concept on the table. It is, <laughs> I'll it pick is, it up later. It is interesting because there are moments, especially like that, because um, when they're driving to the hotel in the book, she is thinking about the Donner Party, you yeah. know, a little less She's of thinking here. about it, yeah, yeah but, but tell your kid. Yeah, he's like... You know, Kubrick's like, we got to get that on the screen, so someone's got to say it out loud for some reason. And uh, I guess he he thought that worked thematically because it's Chekhov's story, like we said. Um, and also the the beginning where he's explaining the the job and stuff to him that is pretty much verbatim from the book, like the the I, speech. Although it is interesting, the interpretation of this guy Ullman, um, he is referred to repeatedly in the the scene where he's introduced as an officious little prick. Yeah, and he's actually a cool guy in the in, in the, the movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at what point do they tell the story of the previous caretaker that um uh he he did that in the f- in the very first the, in, the, the, yeah. in the office scene yeah it's just like now that we did have a little problem yeah. they also referenced the boiler he did did he did yeah. say you know that you have to run the boiler and keep sections but of the then, hotel he so did but they never but do anything they don't they don't do anything with it you know so here i uh, i think we're he's this describing the, basically the He's basically describing the magic bean and saying that, yeah, we built this hotel on an Indian burial ground, and then as they were building it, they uh, uh, is uh, is it this monologue here? Is it somewhere else? Yeah, but I think yeah. so. Oh no, there. no, it's it's a little. It's when they're outside. He talks about the Indian. Okay. It seems short-sighted to describe anywhere as Indian burial ground. If you're going to make a distinction, it seems weird because. Indian burial ground maybe recently and you remember that they buried them there but there's been people on this continent for a long time yeah, I think basically ev- everywhere is an everywhere's Indian burial, a burial ground, ground. <laughs> a Native American burial ground you know. yeah sure yeah when oh like 20 years ago don't build here that's <laughs> yeah. fresh yeah, that's yeah, right. is there a statute of limitations on, on Indian burial yeah, ground I think a good like 300 years and uh, I think that's reasonable okay. you know, it dries up a little bit the soul floats ah, off girls in little dresses this, this, that, this that is was fantastic this is this is pure like Kuleshov right here. He just turns around, yeah. no expression on his face, and they cut to the girls, and that's what makes it scary. Yeah, not him reacting or anything. He could just—I mean—he could have just given him the direction. Just look at the door. Yeah, yeah. He probably did. He probably didn't even tell him what's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. He just said, "Look at the door," and then just, he cut. Just, and just look, and look, and look and look and look and look and cut. There it is. Got it. Obviously, Stanley Kubrick was a classic machine, a classic making machine. He did 2001. He did uh, this. He did Strange Love. He did a Full Metal Jacket. There's right off the bat four, and then Lolita and, and, Sp- Barry and Spartacus. But Spartacus was his one Hollywood. That was his Hollywood movie. Anyway, he made Spartacus. He directed well, Spartacus. He, I he, didn't fucking know that. He yeah, well, see, and the reason you don't is because he literally was like uh, the whatever the, the other director dropped out, and the movie existed already, and uh. he just was the guy to direct it. Uh. Well, so that's why it's the most conventional movie he ever made because it already it was there, and he just needed to step in and direct it. Well, yeah, Kirk Douglas fired the fir- the first director, and they brought in Kubrick, and it was basically one of those situations where I just need you to stand there while I actually direct the movie. And obviously, Kubrick, being the person that he was, wasn't okay with that, and there was uh, interpersonal clashes. But after the fact, Kubrick was like, "Yeah, fuck that movie." Um, yeah, it doesn't, not, it doesn't not, count. Yeah, not not quite as harsh as "fuck that movie," but it's like that's not that doesn't count as it's, a Kubrick it's, movie. Uh, it's Kubrick's equivalent of uh, of uh, whatever that movie Kevin Smith just did, Cop Rock or whatever that was. Called. Red State, so, Cop Out. No, Cop Red out. State. No, that's Red State's his own movie, Cop Out. Cop Out was uh, yeah, I'm making the money. I'm yeah. coin cash. Yeah. Anyway, Cacherini. the point I was getting at is that while you, you where's you, the maze? You certainly, right you certainly <laughs> cannot say that Stanley Kubrick has not been or was not, we'll say, for his entire career, a successful filmmaker. He made milestones in the '60s all the way and to the '80s. We also did Lolita was actually one of his first. Yeah, directors. I mentioned Lolita, but like okay. the, the the big ones, the ones that are like the classic Lolita Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> was it 2001? I mean, like that yes. that that level. Yes. Really? <laughs> yes. 
We just don't I remember just, I, thought of that way We just don't remember it nowadays. Yeah. But it was a big, big deal at the time. The point I'm making is about looking back at Stanley Kubrick's career from now. He's, he was a classic machine. He made these big, iconic movies. But I wonder if, as he got older, or at least as his career lasted longer and longer, it, it seems like the ones that had the strongest impact, it was a front-loaded career. Uh, with the, with Doctor Strange Love and with 2001, which are the, these huge, amazing things that just happened, were like cultural moments. And then you know, and Shining and Full Metal Jacket are great at what they are. But Shining is but, effectively a cult classic. It wasn't big at the time. No, and it, didn't it, do that it, really. like, it seems yeah. like he had the really heavy hitters early. Uh, you know, it's weird to you know. No, just I, an I, observation. I, that think, I, I, I wonder think there's validity to that because I, I, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut wasn't a success either, and that was kind of rather famous for being like, really Kubrick then. Yeah. Well, I just wonder if Kubrick? it's because of the way that Stanley Kubrick directs, if his style of directing, while you know, film today is still a baby medium, we've only been doing movies for 110 years, in the 60s it was 50 years younger. I wonder if it was just the earlier he was able to get into the public's filmmaking watching eye, uh, that style didn't seem so out of place, and it became more out of place as the way that films I, were made. I think it's, I think it's the uh, the opposite. I think uh, early on, people were watching Kubrick, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And they were so excited about it and thought it was great. And as time went on, they're like, "Oh yeah, oh, another, Kubrick." Another, yeah. Another well, no, later on, they were like, "What the fuck is this? Uh. Why doesn't the hotel explode? <laughs> this is boring and slow, and I don't understand." Um, you know, he he in the heyday when film wasn't quite so set in stone in terms of what what you went to the movies to see. Um, I think the audience, Kubrick, I don't think changed ever. I mean, Kubrick was Kubrick on no. day one, and you know he, he grew a little bit as an artist, and he, he tried various things, but uh, he always was the outsider who made movies that weren't like the studio movies, and some caught on and some didn't. I don't think there's much rhyme or reason to it other than, you know, Strange Love obviously captured the zeitgeist of the time very strongly. 2001 was just so trippy, man. It was awesome. Um, this one was just like, you know, he wanted to make this one and he made it and it didn't do well and he wanted to make Eyes Wide Shut and he made it and it didn't do well and he wanted to make Barry Lyndon and he made it and it didn't do well and, you know, as long as he got to make the next one, I'd, does anyone think he cared? No. <laughs> well, exactly. he, he never he, did get to make uh, Napoleon, which he had always yeah, wanted to do. He wasn't, oh, you know, he wasn't. Here we go. So he opens the door. Oh, okay, so here we go. Uh, left hand. Okay, I'll just, we'll talk about and it. And then in this one, he's opening it with his right, because Kubrick <laughs> is a genius. <laughs> yeah. All right. Shall we go there? Wait, real quick, real quick. Trope, magical Negro. Go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he yeah. is the quintessential magical Negro. Which Scatman is his there's, name. There's a great Scatman moment Brothers. In, in the Vivian Kubrick documentary where he's, he's you know those he's people. He's crying about working with Danny. Yeah. Well, yes. But you know, those people that get like, just, they can get so emotional at the drop of a hat and they can just start like, man, yesterday was a really good day. It was just, yeah, it was just so a great, great Saturday. Yeah. Snooki. Now they're coming. Yeah, right, okay. Now they, they are actually coming out of the, the freezer across from the one that they actually just entered. Yeah. And you're about to see it on the on right the, side of the screen. On the opposite wall, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Now, uh, so suppose, the, suppose I don't actually keep up with the internet well enough to know mm -hmm. what you're referring to when you keep making... What, what, what's all this coming from? Okay. There was a YouTube video that went up a little while ago called um, Spatial Discontinuities in the Shining. And it was all about how uh, the, the Overlook Hotel is... is uh, spatially impossible. The guy keeps using the word impossible. Um, there are windows where there can't be windows. There are doors where there shouldn't be doors, blah, blah, blah. And that's all Kubrick try, you know, fucking with us and trying to you know, uh, make us uneasy and unable to get our, our bearings because it's like a maze, man. Um, and no, first of all, like we, we've already passed two of them. Like he talks about how the, the um, office, Ullman's office, the windows can't be there. The windows can't be looking out on the outside because if you look at the the other side, um, as we see very late in the film, um, when when um, uh, Wendy is running down the hallway and she turns 
around the corner to see Halloran down that hall. You know, she she's at down a hallway that is on the other side of where the office would be. So the windows should look out on that hallway in this guy's uh, view, um, or or into the building. So you can't see out of doors. But if you act, this guy's problem, it's like there there aren't spatial discontinuities. This guy just doesn't have good spatial <laughs> thinking. <laughs> and he also yeah. doesn't know how movies get made. Right. Yeah. Because so, well, get, his point partly is, oh, the, this hotel spatially doesn't make uh, 100% sense, which part of his problem is he attributes this to Kubrickian genius. Right. His other part, the other part of his problem is a lot of his points aren't necessarily a his, true. A lot like, of his points are wrong. Like that part, the, the like part I was just there's saying. There's a hallway that goes nowhere. It's like, well, no, there's there's a yeah. wall there. It could very well go behind yeah. that wall. There's a, there's a door. Like the hallway goes down that he's talking about leads to a door. He assumes that the building continues outside that right. door for no reason. He just assumes that there's more building there. Therefore, those windows can't be there. How about that's a door to the outside? <laughs> right. And that's like there's another bit. They're walking along. Where's and there's your an, proof that that's not the case? Huh? Exactly, and there's there's the big uh, the big bay windows in that in that long tracking shot. Someone uh, I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt when when that shot was going on. But uh, they walk past all these bay windows, and then as they turn the corner and start walking towards the camera, in the background there's like this little hallway that a couple of people come out from. And he's Mm -hmm. like, "Where are they coming from? We just saw the bay windows with this huge exterior. Those those should be looking (laughs) onto in the interior of the hotel. If there's a hallway, I'm like, how about?" that's assuming that the hotel is a box, yeah. and there can't be anything behind that wall. Maybe the hotel goes that way, right. you know. And there's an entire wing of the hotel yeah. over there. You don't know. It's a um, it's and- a gigantic gigantic website that just underscores what I keep saying all along. Is like if you're going to freeze frame through a movie. Yeah. You deserve what you get, yeah. Because yeah. you're going to completely lose the plot of like what movies are all about. You know, he's he points out there's like these two doors are too close together. You know that they both be leading into the same room. It's impossible. I'm like, okay, first of all, what if that's a supply closet? That door that you're pointing out <laughs> yeah. right there. Second, and and he, you know, he says over and over again, it's the Kubrick is a genius fallacy. He's that, like Kubrick would not have done this by accident. Yeah. Um, he's he's these like are, these. The, I think the exact <laughs> phrasing he uses these. These errors or these mistakes are too obvious for Kubrick to have done, yeah. Yeah. to have not done. John, John August, the screenwriter, uh, when this you know became a big thing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he wrote a quick blog post um, in which he, he pointed out the circularity of the argument. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like that. Well, there are mistakes in a Kubrick film, but Kubrick is a genius, so they can't be mistakes. Yeah. So he did it on purpose, and that's why he's a genius. Um, but he said, he said, there's really he talked about some of the specifics, but he said there's one massive counter argument to that entire thing. Um, Every other movie ever made. Yeah. Yes. And they pretty much summed it up pretty concisely. It's like no movie will stand up to that level yeah. of, of, of scrutiny. Look. And he yeah. was and he was but he was saying, you know, these doors are too close together and they can't lead to and and, and Kubrick be, being famous for being so fastidious, he would have known this and, and he would only have let that pass through if he wanted it that way. And it's like, okay, how about he knew that those doors could not possibly lead anywhere, but he preferred having lots. He he, he was fastidious about the visuals. He wanted hallways <laughs> with lots of doorways. He didn't want you thinking about it. He just yeah. wanted you to get the feel of a hotel with lots of rooms. Uh, he wanted hallways. Could be with all lots kinds of, of things behind those doors. He put yeah. a whole maze on the hotel just to keep yeah. you guessing and about he, location. And he wanted, uh, you know, and and. I can see Kubrick being the kind of guy who goes, I don't want more than five feet of wall without a door there. 
because I want to because I don't want to see bare patches of wall. That level of fastidiousness, yes, he's fastidious about the image. He's not fastidious as we as we have talked about. He's not fastidious about the sense behind the images. Yeah. And it, it, well, it also that kind of analysis just betrays the uh, the sense of reality that exists on a movie set. I mean, this the the whole interior of the Overlook Hotel is a massive, massive set that they built. It's a set. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It, really? it is. It is That's a complete set. It's not a location. God damn. And, yeah. and they did they had one to build the it twice largest, because it burned down. Yeah. yeah. One of the largest sets ever ever constructed. The whole thing yeah. is, is and the set. exterior is a real hotel, and yeah. and just oh, like some, some of the exterior shots are of uh, sets. Only, yeah, only the well, big, when like, it snowed, when stuff. snowed in, they were actually recreated part yeah. of the exterior. That's a, yeah. that is a set too. Um, but uh, but you know, it's like the Millennium Falcon. The interior doesn't fit in the exterior. You know why? Because no one gives a fuck. Yeah. Right. There was there was I mean there <laughs> it's was because it's bigger on the inside. There's a yeah. bit where where Danny is is that's that's where the Doctor Who yeah. joke comes from. That's <laughs> why the TARDIS yeah. is the TARDIS because yeah. it's an inside. Film production joke. Yeah, Danny's Danny's cycling around, and you can see there's the Colorado room in the middle of the of the whole thing, and then there's there's like a wall that can't be more than like five feet thick. But then there's doors on the other side of it from the Colorado room, so it's like those doors can't lead anywhere. It's like you weren't supposed to notice that. Right. You were exactly. supposed to. Right. You, you're supposed to feel like you you. He probably they probably never thought that you would see a shot where you could get a sense that the Colorado room is right there. I would bet you money this is exactly how it went down on the day whenever I bet you if the production <laughs> designer or the art director or whoever was you know good and I'm sure they were very good obviously I bet at some point in the conversation, you know, Stanley and the DP and the Steadicam operator were like, "Okay, so I have this great idea for a shot. We're gonna we're gonna track him. We're gonna use this amazing piece of equipment called the Steadicam. We're gonna actually track him and we're gonna follow him as he goes all around." And I bet you the production designer in his head went, "You're gonna fucking see everything, aren't you?" <laughs> but, it's, but it Fuck. doesn't matter. You, I, I mean, you're going by it, it so fast that most yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And, and I bet I bet what happened was the production designer went, "Stanley, you're going to see all of this stuff." And Stanley went, "Yeah, whatever. Who's going to notice? Fuck, exactly. Who's going to notice?" Again, you have to, bear if they mind, notice, fuck them. Bear in mind, this is 1980 because it's like, well, you know what's not going to happen is there's not going to be some way that people can sit in their right. house and anally look at every frame of this movie step by step. And there's also not going to be a way for them to write some extensive <laughs> di- documentary about it for the entire world to examine. I mean, that's never going to happen. It's, and it's also worth noting that again, it's it's. It, this is just this hotel. If anything, is like forced perspective, not to fuck with you, just to give you the sense that it's a hotel. Because, like mm-hmm. we talked about, it's a set. It's right. in a soundstage, and the soundstage is only a certain size. Right. So, so they would never be like, well, we have to have the walls of a certain depth so that that we have a sense that there's rooms back there. It's like, fuck you. We're only going to fit half this set in there if we do that. Right. So, how about we cheat it? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, no one sees it, and if they do, yeah. they don't think about only it. Only some I mean, anal retentive lunatic yeah. would notice that there's a problem. There's so there's a whole thing about uh, he talks about uh, there's no clear connection between the gold room and the rest of the hotel, which is uh, he uses this scene right, right. here that's going um, on. As, as but it's like it's like that's right because the gold room is too big to put in the same soundstage as the other the rest yeah. of the hotel, so you can't actually physically connect them. You can't do one of the long tracking shots between them because right. they had to put it in a different soundstage. You know, in Firefly, you can clearly tell yeah. when they go around the corner. And is that's this why the Joss same Reed guy is. that did the whole thing? Have you guys seen the one for Clockwork Orange where he's talking about the imagery of a pyramid with an eyeball next Probably. to it, and it being a? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it sounds like. His work, the probably, whole nice but that, Templar thing. That, where we're not, we now see, we're now watching the, the yeah. famous shot we're yeah. tracking behind Danny. Yeah, on the, on it, the where you, you know, it's like this is really the message you need to get from this is that's a hell of a set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and hopefully yeah, be you're... watching the movie and not like counting doors, you freak. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, he may, but he makes the whole point that like she's coming from the opposite end of the like she she walks from the color the kitchen through the Colorado room um, to to you know. 
uh, take take him his, his food. But then later on, he's chasing Danny with the axe, and he goes through the kitchen, and he comes in the other side of the Colorado yeah. room. It's like, b- because they shot those nine months apart, yeah. Kubrick wasn't thinking about that at and, the time. And moreover, in well, the, you're again, not and moreover in the there, there's a continuity person who keeps track of those things. But again, it's, it's more like, Kubrick who, probably thought the sh- who the fucking shots cares? Cool. Who fucking cares? It's the shot's better this way than that yeah. way. You know. I mean, that's clearly, uh, I, in, in my opinion, that's clearly what happened with that freezer thing. Yeah. They went in one freezer, they came out the other because Kubrick liked the shot coming out of the other freezer right. with because the, with the well, he was he was linking these link these steady cam yeah. shots together so it's like okay they can come in this hall and they come around the corner yeah but then if they go in that freezer then I don't like the way that looks so yeah. you know. I don't like the way that looks I want to be tracking in front of them the whole time so we'll just put them on the left side of frame yeah. again and people won't think also, also ignoring the other thing that uh, you know it's it's not like that scene really is a continuous scene I mean you see them walk into a freezer and have a conversation then you see them walk out of a freezer um, there is such a thing as you know jumping forward in right. time there are there are a number they, of right. they could be coming out of a different Any, freezer again. Anytime a, the camera cuts, there is an implied sense of time jump there. Yeah. And even if it doesn't, even if it's not obvious, anytime the camera cuts, you have to assume that some amount of time has elapsed. That was used beautifully in Synecdoche, New York. Anyway, let's put this to baby to rest. It was not. Fuck yes, that yes it was. It was. It was. It was. <laughs> oh god. Uh, let's However put this else baby you feel to rest. About that movie. That's pretty dark good. man. Do you have a final word on on Mr. Internet conspiracy theorist Shining guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Willie he hears about nine eleven. The shit's gonna hit the yeah. fan. If. Uh, it's just it's just clearly someone who who does not understand how movies in general are made. I'm, I'm you know not to take anything away from the fact that Kubrick was very fastidious and he did a lot of stuff on purpose. But there's a number of things where it's like he did it that way because that's how you do movies. That's not even a Kubrick thing. That's just how you do movies. Yeah, and, and which is the, I mean which is the basic failing of a lot of film criticism is that. Film criticism, when it really kind of gets into that territory, it never stops and goes. Well, they really just needed to fucking make their day, right? And they just needed that angle. It's like right. that, that. That's the Occam's razor of film analysis. Is you know, yes, I mean, it made and, more visual sense that way, even if it didn't make actual sense. And it, yeah, which is not to say that Kubrick or whoever else you happen to be talking about, it isn't you know talking about themes and has motifs visually and storytelling wise and however else. I mean. Those do exist, but you also have to con- always consider the alternative hypothesis of they just couldn't fit the camera in the corner of the room, or they had to make their fucking day. Yeah. I can't, or I Kubrick can't. thought that was cool. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't doing anything crazy. Like, like this shot coming up. They walk into the maze, and then there's a shot of uh, Jack looking at the the maze model on the, ta- on the desk or table or whatever, and then... It's this overhead shot of them, mm. oh, kind in, of in, in the model, the maze, in the aerial. maze. Yeah. But the but the maze is so much huger and right. and a different pattern and stuff like that. I'm like, and he's like, this is because blah blah blah. blah. I'm like, yeah. that's probably yeah. just because Kubrick thought that looked cool. It looked cooler than seeing the edge of the table or the edge of the maze. He just wanted it to feel like an endless space. It's a visual thing. It's not. Yeah. It's not like. I, I mean, a lot of times, also film film analysis or film analysts, they don't. Most of the time when you're doing any kind of creative endeavor, you, you may do things without really having any sense of why you're doing it. So maybe Kubrick, in somewhere in the depths of his subconscious, he was sort of kind of doing something in that ballpark. But if, you know, as we talked about, I think in the Reservoir Dogs commentary, he's like, does it pass the, the set test where if you walked up to Kubrick on the day in between setups and you went, 
Okay, so what what are you doing here? Tell me, tell me in two sentences what you're actually doing here. Would Kubrick say anything along those lines? Yeah. We go. I just what I, I'm doing is yeah. we're coming yeah. in this way because I want to create a spatial disorientation exactly. because of the exactly. I'm sure, I, Kubrick yeah. Kubrick would really say I'm having them walk from there to fucking there because we have to that get way, now. Let's that go. Way we, that way we see the kitchen in the background. Yeah. Duh. Um, the uh, I, again, having been involved in numerous movies and you know in the internet, it's like there I've seen cases of you know people saying. You know, in some internet analysis of some, you know, shot or thing I was involved in where they go, well, clearly they were trying to do this. Uh, and, and I'm like, uh, we didn't even think about that. Yeah. I, it's like, yes, the idea of this scene is blah, blah, blah. It's like, the, boy, that, that never came up. And then there's the... I was the, trying not to be crushed by the foam rubber. Exactly. That's all I was trying uh, to do. There, and then there's the corollary of, you know, well, boy, they sure, boy, no one really was paying attention. I sure someone lost their job for that one. It's like, we had extensions discussions about it, and we said, we don't care because only you, internet douchebag guy, is going to give a shit about that. And we don't care about you, internet douchebag guy. Internet douchebag guy needs needs a you know that uh, here's to you guy. Here's to you, Mister Minutia, internet douchebag guy. You freeze framed your way through the entire can shining. Him, can we call him Minouche bag? Minouche bag. Oh, that's <laughs> glossary. Okay, <laughs> this, this one's for the minouche bags. <laughs> Boom! In birth, the chat room, birth of a meme, right there. Pavlich points out a uh, little checkoff skill going on with Danny playing in the maze and. Something he will use later. Indeed. I mean, you know, Kubrick's a genius. You know, he knows basic storytelling. Now, that whole argument supposes that there is such a director as this fabled version of Kubrick that the guy supposes exists. Is there a that guy? Does that person exist? Is it Kubrick? If it would be anybody, that, it, it would be Kubrick, exactly. but it's not Kubrick. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Kubrick spends time. I'm. We'll, we'll see it uh, coming up pretty soon, you know. You you see the moments where Kubrick you can feel being Kubrick. There's the bit where Danny's playing with his toy trucks and the ball runs in just just perfectly down the middle <laughs> yeah. of yeah. of the carpet and it's like it's that shot perfect. that's a hundred takes. Yeah. Um and that, Kubrick was sitting there a whole day going, Roll it again, it went off to the side a little bit. I could see people that, making that argument for people like Mark Romanik, uh for maybe maybe for Aronofsky in some sort of but not really. I think he's a little too Sloppy, not in a bad way. Just he's not as meticulous uh, in in that way. I think it depends on the movie Aronofsky's making. Yeah, the Fountain will be the closest. Yeah, yeah. the Fountain is meticulous. The Wrestler, I don't. The Wrestler in the final product is not different kind of feel messy though. Yeah, Yeah, it's a different kind of movie. Well, there's a difference between you know the final product being meticulous and the methods on set that you use to get to the meticulous. Whether you know, you can end up with a messy wrestler in the final product and still have done a hundred takes to get there. Theoretically, I my. My guess would be that that's not how the wrestler was made. Holy shit! I forgot earlier when I was talking about the like the landmark movies that we remember about him. I completely forgot Clockwork Orange. Anyway, yeah, that one too. Um, but there's not so there's not a director who micromanages his movie in every way to that level. There and might, and, there and might is, be, and but is it, great. There like might I would be, say, but it doesn't can, make it. Well, Fincher's pretty pretty damn anal. George but. Lucas. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he is, but you can see but that it's not, that, that, that doesn't necessarily, you know, a make great end product make, right. you know, nor does it with Fincher. You know, Fincher's like, you know, getting every little detail right. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but your character's still Just because you're picky nice. doesn't make you a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Some movies are, you know, seem like almost haphazard the way they come together, and they work great. You know, like, oh, okay. And then there's little girls in, in little outfits. Yeah. It's, it's, now, one of the things about this movie, though, that, for whatever reason, and probably because it was, while it wasn't really, you know, home video wasn't really a feature 
too much. This movie did benefit a lot from early home video because it was a movie that a lot of people, you know, would get on home video or see on cable and in early days of cable. Because even though the movie didn't do particularly well, as I recall, um, in the theaters, you know, it has become so iconic. Yeah. I mean, it's like now, like you two two little girls in little matching outfits in a hallway. Everyone knows that reference. Yeah. Here's Johnny. Everyone knows that reference. You know, or anyone who has any kind of cultural, you know, you know, minutia, any minutia bags. Um, you know, it's something <laughs> that you can reference and is still referenced to this day. Now, uh, now and uh, people recognize what it is. Now, here's something that you can give, you know, Kubrick, Kubrick, visual <laughs> genius style points for because this this whole movie is very kind of centered and symmetrical and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So you know, I, I will say, you know that he deliberately had Jack Nicholson. Slightly off to the just side, off. <laughs> just off, yeah. just to make you go. Yeah, as yeah. you look so at close. it, in a, in a room in a shot that's otherwise composed like the Last Supper. Yeah, right? exactly. So like everything is perfectly. I'll bet you, in there, place. if this but was then, an Aronofsky but, film, I would say there's going to be a thing where the further away from the center of every composition he is, that's when he's getting wackier. And no, wackier. actually, or actually, these landmarks of that throughout the film. Actually, here's the weird thing: is it the other way, he does it the opposite. He becomes as, more, as he yeah. as he becomes more in tune with what the hotel is doing. He moves for, wow. further and further into the cool. center. And you see that is actually a reference like the deeper yeah. meaning of that yeah. is that his his murderous self is really his true yeah. self and so it's actually him yeah. breaking down now this that's the kind of bullshit Ryan, that filmmakers Ryan. would think oh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's the kind that's of thing that actually, I can believe valid yes. yeah. Yeah. it's like the idea of building an entire set wrong because then you'll sense that it's wrong is the bullshit part but yeah, well, again, and many many filmmakers are like, well, you see what I did here was, blah, 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 and, and and we're not really supposed to care about that either. Right. I mean, like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know, and, I yeah. just like when the guy I mean, comes after his wife with the axe. That so was here's, awesome. uh, but 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 you know, um, speaking of this scene, I, I will say again, this is the kind of scene where I want, I want to have seen the sweet version of this yeah. scene, right. so that we're as shocked and and frightened as she is. Yeah. When, yeah, I think, I think it's almost comes. too early for him to be this mad yes, still. It is. I it mean, is. it's like if he was just like a little annoyed, but he pulled it in, you know, yeah. like, oh, it was, hey, sweetie, no, good. You know, like you want to see him like wrestle with it. Yeah. But yeah he's but already, he's already in full on like, you know, angry mode. It's like, well, there's no, there's not no a nice art. guy. Yeah. 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 Shelly, get the bat right now. Yeah, yeah just, this, we just literally, like, he could be chasing around I mean, the I mean, living room with an axe in 20 minutes. You have an audience member, you go, it's, it's time to get the bat, dear. Yeah. yeah. It's time to get the bat. And uh, you might want to hide the bat, the, hide, How, how many bat. knives are in that kitchen? 6,000? Yeah, you might want to start hiding those away. Yeah, yeah. that's going to that's gonna take a while, so you might want to start now, before the snows. I do feel bad for Shelly Long, oh Shelly Duvall. I, f- I feel so awful for her. I feel for bad for Shelly Long, too, but uh, that's yeah, a whole different too. story. But she, she deserves and, it. And in that, in that scene right there, it, you, your heart just goes out to her. You're like, wow. he's And, and again, you're like, he is an asshole. She was being so nice, and she's just so heartbroken by the way he's behaving right now. But right, I don't know right why she so, should yeah. be, because as far as I know, that's just how he is. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. yeah she shouldn't be surprised. You married are. him. So there you go. Now, this, I believe, believe it or not, I believe it's a set. I think it's a set, yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah. Fucking crazy. And actually, uh, you expect the thing to come out piece of, it. of trivia, uh, there, there's a lot of moments that kind of feel like the thing, yeah. Piece of trivia, um, they shot this at, I believe, Elstree. Um, so a lot of that fake snow, they actually reused for the Hoth scenes in Empire Strikes Back, apparently. <laughs> Just like, yeah, we got a bunch of it out back if you yeah. want to use it. We got a big pile well, of it. Well, um, according, wow. according to, to Vivian Kubrick, the the stuff that the the snow that is kind of up against the the hotel there is salt. Mm. Wow, like salt. a lot of salt. salt and styrofoam. Salt basically. and styrofoam. Yeah. yeah, and then the the actual falling stuff is like polystyrene, mm. 
And it's crazy because in the documentary. Long story it, short, don't breathe on that set. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. No. It's just, a, you know, it's 20, 30, 40, whatever, however many fucking people it is on set just breathing in this massive snowstorm of tiny oh. bits of plastic. And apparently this place, you know, it's a set. So it's supposed to be winter. You've got this fire raging. It's murderously hot yeah. this entire time that they're shooting this movie. This really is just, it's a spectacular colossal set. It's amazing. I mean, in, in multiple colossal sets. You know, it's 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 really kind of mind-boggling that they did this. Wow, there's a trope. Pavlich points out a trope uh, based on Kubrick. He originated this called the Kubrick stare. Mm-hmm. It's three Ooh, steps. Ah. Three steps: tilt head down, look up beneath eyebrows, smile or grimace. Named for Stanley Kubrick, who made at least eight movies where a major character has this facial expression. It's clockwork Orange, definitely. Uh, it opens that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the first shot. Uh, full metal shining. jacket. Full metal jacket shining, has obviously. it. This definitely has it. Obviously, that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, when, when he's in the... Um, the uh, he says here, Lolita, Strange Love, 2001, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut are all... Uh, <laughs> Basically the, just name, one that name the Kubrick movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than, did they say 2001? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, The Crow, uh, Sarah Connor in The Hospital in Terminator 2. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's, the Kubrick it's, it's, again... There's a point where it's like well, he has altered the pool. That's just one of the. That's just yeah. There's a point where it's like where it stops being a trope and becomes getting a shot of a person doing something, like you know that that a shot of a person moving their mouth while sounds come out in an intelligible form. That is so director is so Spielberg. Director trademark speaking. So Spielberg. <laughs> Dialogue. <laughs> Director's trademark emotion. Yeah. Uh, not here. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Not here. Exactly. That's gonna. That's pretty soon. Give it twenty years. That will be like the one guy's trademark because no one else will remember how to do that. Director's trademark. Good performance. Now, yeah. Brian, uh, give yes, us sir. a summary of our existing working hash up of the Kubrick style summary. Like what we've what we've learned sort of as diff doing. Oh, going over uh, Metal Jacket and Doctor Strange. Jacket. Uh, that it's well, like like we talked about, or at least I talked about in the opening, that it's not it's not really story related. It's it's just it's this visceral. Uh, quality of, of the experience the the visceral experience and, and the uh, emotional reality of that in the moment and it doesn't really matter what the what the situational context of it is or at least that you as the audience member whether you get that or not it's just um the emotional reality to it but also and it's 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 weird because it's an emotional reality and in some moments very very intense but also with this sense of kind of detachment and abstractness that kubrick has um he Which, would he would do he would do really well in the Japanese wah, market today. Um, and no. that's, as first, far as I'm concerned, that's the shot. Yeah. First, <laughs> first time I ever saw that shot was in Twister. <laughs> yeah, me too. I saw yeah, Twister yeah. in the theater. Yeah, that's but bizarre. Talking about blowing up, giving it away. I the, because because um, culturally Japanese entertainment, Japanese storytelling is very much that way. It's kind about it's, it's about creating a a tentacle monster. Yes. <laughs> yeah. First, about, you get a no, no, That's the next movie that we're going to do, Slither. Um, but it's 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 more about creating an experience and a, and a sense of um, emotion and tension and stuff like that than it is about necessarily telling a story. That is right. a gnarly shot. The fact that they're holding hands yeah. creeps me the fuck out. Yeah. But, In the book, uh, they weren't twins. In the book, they were just sisters. They're not twins there either. In well, his no, uh, uh, no, he says. In fact, the guy says uh, eight and ten, so they can't be twins. They just look a lot alike. They're just sisters. Oh, the They're actual, actual actresses, actress. Uh, no, no, uh, Olman. Oh, oh. literally in the movie, he says oh, the oh. kids are eight and ten. So, anyway, so Darkman, do you think that Stanley Kubrick would do better in a modern Japanese culture? <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think. I think. Um, I wonder if they were 
if they are at all influenced by him or if it just happens to be a similar thing. But I think you get a lot of very Kubrickian types of movies out of um, out of Japan. A lot of anime, I can totally see Kubrick digging. Um, I, I can see him digging a lot of the J-horror, the Japanese horror that's coming out, Dark Water and, and the original uh, Grudge which uh, and, and The Ring and, and stuff like that. Um, because those are very much about building tension and building suspense and stuff like that. And the stories, but, um, you know, if you're scared, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if it made sense. By the it way, just matters that you were scared. They're right. a movie within a movie. They're watching Summer of 42, which you haven't seen <laughs> Summer of 42. It's a great movie. You should check it out. That's what that movie is. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, for people who are really into Kubrick, I would recommend checking out that kind of thing. And there's certainly um, a validity to doing it that way because a lot of those movies are scary and this movie is genuinely scary. Um, it's just, I guess, a different – maybe maybe somehow Kubrick was just kind of on a different on, – on that kind of wavelength where he just wanted to make people feel stuff and not really um, think about stuff, which is weird because one of the, one of the charges that, that Stephen King had against him was that Kubrick feel, uh, thinks too much and feels right. too little. That was his, his uh, summary of – of it, what was wrong with The Shining? Yeah. That's a summary of what's wrong with The Shining. It was actually a really long. I'm not block familiar with uh, with, with Stephen King's response to The Shining. Was I, I? I'm just learning for the first time here that he didn't like it. He, he wasn't. He felt that it it uh, underplayed the the supernatural qualities of the story and focused too much on on the mon- I, I don't know if he uses the word mundane, but the non supernatural aspect yeah. of of this guy and his descent into well, madness. Well, because Kubrick uh, Kubrick apparently was a a himself a skeptic. And and he didn't really want to do a ghost movie. He didn't want to do a ghost movie, right. and he and he had this weird thing. Apparently, one of the first things he told Stephen King, and this would have been a warning sign for me too. Yeah, I think uh, one I know of the story. One of the first things he said to Stephen King was he he thinks of ghost stories as being tremendously optimistic because it indicates something yeah, uh, that life that continues after death. And I'm like, you missed the point entirely. If I remember it's from d- distant memory, but I think uh, I remember King saying. Um, yeah, that that while it was being developed, you know, Kubrick uh, Kubrick would like call him up yeah, and just sort of like ask him a question. Morning. Yeah, and he'd get this call. Um, and uh, one of the questions was, um, "Do you think, hey, Steve? Do you think there's a God?" Yeah. And King was like, "Yeah, yeah, I think so." And Kubrick goes, "No, nah, I don't think so." Click. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, no. so same, but, it, but it was again, it was in reference to this. Is the whole yeah. idea of like it's it's about the ghost idea. Right. Same yeah. thing. Same thing. Actually, he he said that thing about. Um, he, you know, I think Ghost Story is really optimistic. It talks about, you know, it gives you a sense of life after death. And, and King goes, what about hell? And Kubrick goes, I don't believe in hell. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea, and, and, and you can sort of see it, which I think is a, a paraphrasing from the book. I haven't read the Shining novel in quite some time. But the, you know, um, um, Scatman Crothers' uh, explanation, you know, he talks about how it's like, it's, a, it's sort of an, you know, it's like when someone burns toast. It's kind of an afterglow. He doesn't really get into it's ghosts and spirits and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all about, it's just like this sort of psychic vibration and it really can't hurt you because it's not real, um, which is mostly true in the, the way it plays out in the movie. Is, you know, but the vibration, not, if the vibration can get you to do something, exactly. that will then it, cause it, you the, to... The, the, the hell is, is what the living people do as a response. Right. I want, you I, know, the, the ghosts themselves don't actually hurt you. And you could have done it as more of a... You could have played up the ghosts a bit more. I mean, coming around the corner and the girls are there, that's... That's scary. That's that's freaky. But there are moments in um, – I wasn't a huge fan of this movie, but a recent movie called The Orphanage, uh, El Orfanato. Uh, oh, I haven't seen that, is, but I've heard, uh, heard of it. Yeah. There's, there's some great moments there with um, 
it's set up that they play this game, where, which is like red light, green light. You know, mm-hmm. you play as kids. You turn around, and you you knock three times on a wall, and then you turn and then you turn back around. And you see if the you know who's closest to you, the the kids, and they have to stop. They made a game out of Ninja Cat gets closer without moving. <laughs> but um, but so th- so that's set up as a game they play in this orphanage, and then later on, this girl who grew up there comes back, and the orphanage is haunted, and blah blah blah. And to draw oh, the ghost dude, don't, out, don't tell me just I, I'm already creeped out. Yeah. I know where it's going. Just stop. <laughs> point me. Yeah. To, but to draw the ghost <laughs> out, <laughs> she's, don't listen. Don't listen. To draw the ghost out, she starts playing that game, and it's one long shot where it where it turns to her, and then it like pans, and it's dark, right? And it pans pans away to like the the hallway behind her. Nothing there. She she turns around and knocks again, pans back, and there's a little kid standing there. And each time it goes back, it's a little closer. It's like that is one of the scariest fucking things <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. It and scared it's, the shit out of me when you were just yeah. about to describe it, yeah. and I saw where it was going. And it's great how that works. And again, it's like when when and we mentioned it earlier when Shyamalan is at his best in movies like The Sixth Sense. He does he's doing that. Yes. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. He, he really has. He really did. You know, and and it's not like Kubrick invented it. Although clearly this movie definitely draws on it and and made it sort of more more mainstream but uh, but that idea of like the long extended take it, that makes you nuts because you know it's coming yeah. and where is it and, Be- and, because you know even if you're not consciously thinking about it you know every time the camera cuts that that's a cheat yeah. it ba- yeah. at a basic fundamental level you know you're trying to recreate reality and every time you cut that's the filmmaker's way of cutting corners about having to create reality from scratch so when you don't do that you go oh this is Every, as for as long as that camera doesn't cut, it's just that sense of like this is real, this is fucking real, just stretches out more and more. There's a trope Pavlich points out that just we just blasted past it, but uh, blasted past it, right? Blasted past That's it. That's fun. Blasted, blasted past, past it. it. Anyway, it's called uh, not now, kiddo. The kind of thing <laughs> that useless adults will say to a kid hero when he has some urgent news. <laughs> <laughs> not now. Uh, yeah, okay. I can see that. That's definitely a trope. I have the solution to the crisis, which will save all of our lives. Not now. <laughs> yeah, it comes up a Not lot. Not now, short round. <laughs> we were talking about how... Uh, it's, a, it's actually a, it's a uh, standby uh, next generation trope with Wesley in the early oh, days. Like, <laughs> that was, that was guys, like, I know how to turn Guys, I know how to... All I, have to I push the green button and it makes the flip-flop. Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. Wow. Anyway, that that right there actually, I, there were a couple of cuts, but for the most Why part, am I even on the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> for Go the on. for the most part, here's the shot of the ball rolling. But um, that that scene with with uh, uh, Jack and the and the boy on the the bed, mostly one long take. Yeah, and it's yeah. so scary. <laughs> because, like, what's he gonna do? What is he going to do at any moment? He can because because I, I think I think you could make an argument in a movie like this. Um, and it's not necessarily true all the time, but you can make a mo- an argument that, like you say, you you know that the edit is a cheat. Every time it every time it cuts, it's a little dissipation of the tension. Yeah. Because you because you kind of feel even subconsciously the hand of the filmmaker. Whereas when right. the when the camera's just sitting there, you're like the tension just keeps building. No one is here to save me from yeah, this. Exactly. Right, no right. one can stop this. Um, and you know, there's the the kid gives a great performance, just just staring off into space <laughs> like. A, Please let this end without Brian. Me you, would you like that sweater? That sweater should would, totally be in the I geek, geek store. That's, I would love that sweater. That's a great sweater. I would wear that sweater. If if I if somebody makes an adult version of that sweater, oh, although my mom <laughs> listens to this commentary, I probably shouldn't say mom, that. Mom, Christmas is coming up. <laughs> she does like to knit me things. And she she's actually <laughs> do it, do it. Yes. <laughs> She, I'll give you she's really bucks. disappointed that I live in warm climates because she can't yeah, get me sweaters, sweaters all the time. Kinda, oh, great, another sweater. I'll put it with the others. It's the problem Chloe has with her giant Tom Baker scarf that I got her. It's just always hot. 
I have I I have the greatest coat in the world that I bought in Berlin. It's like you know Sherlock Holmes should have such Berlin. a coat, and I can I can you know when do I wear it? When I go back to Berlin, I will take it with me. There's the boiler. See again, boiler. There's the whole thing, the setup, but they didn't go anywhere with it as far as the. I the wish plot. this was QI because I would get a point for this. I know something interesting about boilers as regard <laughs> to uh, ghost stories. Do you know Ooh. you know what I'm referring to? Uh, they have recently found out uh, an interesting little factoid, which is that there is a certain frequency that when you hear it your brain just doesn't handle it very well. And I don't remember what it is, but it's something It has to do with the way that this actually physically vibrates something in your body. And the part of your brain that it vibrates happens to be the thing that makes you see ghosts. It's the brown note for your brain. It's the brown <laughs> yeah. note for your brain. It's the brain brown note. And it's the kind of uh, note that is likely to happen around things that are likely to happen in basements, like boilers and shit like that. It's a, very, it's a, it's a, it's a sound that you can hear, and they've been able to replicate this across the world repeatedly. They just do it in the lab. Just play that note, and people are like, you, you guys... <laughs> Two uh, little girls. You, you sense a presence or something? You sense yeah, a presence, yeah. and you, it, it does something. It gives you goosebumps and makes you feel cold and shit like that. And it's a thing that happens to your brain. It's a physical thing that when you... And that sound happens, your brain is likelier to go, what the fuck is going on? Science is so fucking cool. Yeah. Yes. And our brains are so fucked oh, up. Oh, shit, that's better. So yeah, uh, Darth Neckard had a better one instead of the brown notes, the brain note. The brain note. The brain note, yeah. the brain note. Yeah. The brain note. Brown note for your brain. Anyway, so one now point he's, on QI. Now, now he's all crazy, so that's fine. Yeah. He tells her the whole story. Oh, I dreamed about chopping you guys up and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's nice, Dude, dear. Dude, self-edit. Yeah, self-edit. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, especially you, if you're planning it. You've got you don't to have learn to, to filter. everything yeah. in a relationship. got to learn to filter. Yeah, it's weird because it's like, well, now he's like, oh, I had this terrible dream about chopping you all up. It's like, hasn't that been your plan all along? <laughs> I mean, it, why are you now a sympathetic guy? You know? what, if, what if you started the movie with, you just what if you just changed actors in the middle of it? It's like you you started it off <laughs> like with David like, Lynch. Then it's David Lynch, not yeah. Kubrick. That's what I was gonna oh, say. All right, David Lynch, another guy who is you know gotten lucky because he just does the movies he wants, and everyone yeah. says uh, he he's a genius. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like well, God bless him. You know, we should all be so lucky. Hey, Mike and Trey, he's hey. a genius because I don't get it. Mike ampersand to Trey. All right, here's a here's a check, here's a story, and a movie that happened once. Try to forget it. I'd like you to remake uh, The Shining for oh, a modern boy. audience. Well, uh, it's already been done. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I thought Mick Garris's version was pretty successful. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Mick Garris's stuff. I'm pretend I haven't seen it. Pretend I've seen it. the movie and yeah. the book, and the more recent one I haven't seen. So if it was good, you can steal from it. If it was bad, if, avoid it. But I don't I'd know. I'd probably what just go back to the book primarily. Yeah. Um, if uh, I haven't read the book, if it if would it, it were feel me, like this? Would it feel this? It would feel like this. I would I would focus it entirely on the just the guy's you know descent into madness I, and focus I would, on that. I would have that. Personally. I would have the descent into madness, and I would have the um. Can, I, I would pers- I would want more ghosts. Yeah, I would. I would say I would too. It might be easier. Even though I don't believe in ghosts either, I would well, exactly. bring that up and I would start with that same idea of yeah, but they're just visions they can't hurt. What the movie does a little teeny bit because this scene right here is like, well, somebody you know he's been hurt by the ghost in the room, presumably, yeah. but we don't really know if that's the case yeah. or not. It's yeah. like but, I, that, but that idea of they're just visions they can't hurt you and go that go down that route a while and then go, guess what? He was wrong. Oh yeah, they can oh, totally they hurt can. you. They can totally hurt you and be yeah. scared. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's like it's be thinking of, be thinking about while he's talking, to you guys think about an X. Meets why kind of pitch for it, so I can get a sense of the tone and what you're thinking of. I don't think you have to okay, do that. Stanley Kubrick's like, The Shining meets, meets the remake of The, the Shining. Shining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's it called? The Shining. Yeah. The Shining. I just want to. It, it is a little disappointing, also with with um, someone like Kubrick. You know, being. I, you know, I'm a skeptic too, but it's like, yeah, but I don't, I don't believe in any of the things yeah, that happen in. I movies. don't believe in Harry Potter either, exactly, but I like right. the movie. But it's the story is it, fun. Like, it's like he doesn't at all, on any, any level really ever internalize the concept of the magic bean. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, oh, that's not real, so I can't make a yeah. movie about that. 
<laughs> and again, no, know, that's why you make good movies. for him. Yeah, you know, that's because fine. space robots aren't real either. Yeah. Come yeah. on, it's uh, when Brian says that. Yeah, call him your shit. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's exactly. like it's like for for me the whole for for me that the draw of making movies is for things that I acknowledge do not exist. If they exist, yeah. I'll go look at them. If they don't, I will make a movie about them to to you know so, to have something. It's hard because you know this movie is. As much as we've been sort of focusing on on some of the downsides, it's iconic uh, as hell. It's also it's like it's about eighty percent perfect. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like yeah. it's like that's that's the other. It, it gets part. that you know, boy, does it get that you know amazing sense of of you know just being in this weird, freaking, creepy, yeah. freaking place, and the, it just the, you know sen- uh, the sense of being trapped, of isolation, of, of yeah. I mean, and we we're, we're giving a lot of shit to this guy for the spatial orientation shit, but. It you is know, disorientation yeah. is a conscious. Uh, is, yeah, conscious I mean, there's a, there's obviously a maze theme going on. So right. clearly, there also is a, a lot of mirrors. Someone yeah. in the chat room pointed yeah. out there was a motif. Uh, there there is a motif that every time you see a ghost, there Plus, is a mirror. Shitty carpet. Mirror. That's yeah. a filmmaker yeah. trademark. <laughs> well, very seventies uh, kind yeah. of carpet. That's a, that's a 1970s trademark. Exactly. Very. It's time to recarpet the hotel. Damn, that is a big room. Look at that. It's like Hall it's H. Crazy. Yeah. I'm and later, for, it's going to be full of extras, you know, in full costume and everything. It's going to be nuts. But uh, now the the like, the caretaker, the caretaker. He we, we mentioned him, didn't we? Just mention him recently. You try. You've always been the caretaker. <laughs> oh, then give me a drink. <laughs> Fuck it. And where's where's where do you keep the axe? Um, and but the actor. Uh, Who are we talking about? Halloran or the, the guy that's the, behind the, the bar? The caretaker the guy that's is about to show up in the, the bathroom. The, he, the, well, he's What's the bartender the slash you know major. Lloyd. Well, there's the butler and there's the bartender. There are two separate characters. No, All tuxedos no, look alike to me. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. They are, because you see them both both coming up. Oh, uh, the, that's right. well, one is uh, one is uh, one yeah. is the old character. One is the guy from one is the guy from the one's uh, the guy from Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. The other guy, the other guy, that okay. actor too is in something that we were talking about recently. I okay. forget what, but uh, you're right. But uh, yeah, uh, the actual the Blade Runner guy is there as well. Hmm. If, we forget, if we come up, with, someone chat room, uh, find out what the the other fella, um, not not this guy. But the, the not other, the bartender, the yeah, butler. This, this fellow is from Blade the Runner. The valet, we know him or whatever he but, is. Uh, the uh, the other fellow who's so always, who do you cast? Who's always been the character. Grady. Grady. Yes. Who do you cast uh, for your version of Shining? That's informed by this one. You know the kind of person you're going to need to mm. play this role. You know, it's a similar uh, uh, movie to The Shining, which actually came before, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, Amityville Horror. Yes, it's a very similar yeah. thing, and 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 does more of what we're talking about, where it's more about the ghosts and the descent into madness and stuff like that, or the demons in that case. Um, so you know, if you if you want more of that, <laughs> made in the seventies <laughs> and also recently, you might also two, like. There are two versions of Amityville Horror that you can uh, go take. Yeah, a look there's at. umpteen versions of Amityville Horror. You know, it's weird. Yeah. Well, there's sequels. There's a bunch of sequels right, to yeah. the first one. He's too old for it now, but I can see Robin Williams doing a really good version of this. I, yeah. w- I would yeah. love to see Robin Williams he can, Because he can turn on compassion in a way that apparently Jack Nicholson can't. Yeah. <laughs> like, he can turn on touchy-feely Mrs. Doubtfire Patch Adams. Yeah. Like Robin well, Patch and then Adams he can go all the way this, to... The who's, who's the guy? Oh, God, that is yeah. one of the recent scary movies, yeah. in my opinion. Mark um, Romanek, like I was mentioning earlier. But, um, well, that, there's, there's a question. There's a place to start from. Who's a really... Who sympathetic can, guy. Who do you really like to watch um, in in movies? And you're just like, God, I would just love to have a beer with that guy. Except he's a recovering alcoholic, so I guess not. Um, has he character wise? Um, um, Jeff Bridges ever done a bad guy? He hasn't done many. Um, Jeff Bridges might Jeff be Bridges, Jeff Bridges back in the day in 1980 yeah. when he was yeah. you know a younger fellow. Yeah, uh, he's a bad guy in Iron Man. Yeah, <clears throat> but but yeah, uh, true. But modern. He, he got dipped in beard for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Dipped in beard and then dipped in non-hair on the other side. <laughs> yeah, dude. He just had a hair 
mo- movement. Uh, someone, see, like, think, it's easy to think of people that you want to say someone like I, I'm, you know, especially since we're doing a, a Kurt Russell. Oh, Kurt Russell be good. You were gonna say Nathan Fillion, weren't I you? I was because we're about to do yeah. Slither, so he's on my mind. But True. I don't know. If I, I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't know if I, I could picture him pulling off. I the haven't crazy. seen him be bad guy. No, yet. I think Mal was. I think Mal was a pretty big stretch for him to be that bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think he could actually pull off that sense of Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Oh man! There you go. Yes, that Tom would be Hanks. The, Tom Hanks. That's Ewing in Tom the Tom Hanks room. remake of The Shining. Greenlight. Yeah. I'm, I'm greenlighting that shit. If you if you bring me that package into my office, how much do you need? I don't know if uh, nobody loves Tom Hanks more than I do, but I don't know if Tom Hanks could do could go to the deranged. I haven't seen him try as, as deep. That's well, true. I think I think he I, can. I mean, that's he why I want to. to. And that's <laughs> why I that's why I like uh, Journey to Perdition or Road to Perdition. You know. Because he's a bad guy in that, and and he's Ooh. he's not a crazed bad guy, but he's a bad guy. Right. And you know, well, he's so, still a very um, calculating bad guy. Yeah, but I think tradition. based on what we've seen him do in other things, I you know, he's got it in him. He just hasn't really had a chance to. Bring, I mean, Castaway, he gets pretty out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, True. Yeah. All right. Same thing. Uh, yeah. You know, when he when he first like discovers fire and stuff yeah. like that, it's and like that's comedic. Just, but it's just when he's that to later evil. later yeah. when he's you know when he's gone you know the full Robinson Crusoe and he's talking to the volleyball. It's like okay, he's kind of like you know just passing the time, but he's also out of his fucking yeah. mind. In yeah. the chat room, what about uh, Lalide's selection? Uh, selection uh, suggestion: uh, Sam Rockwell. Sam yeah. Rockwell. That's almost yeah. what you. That's almost what you, you thought Moon was going to be. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think? But when yeah, yeah. shining right, on the moon, right. even even when <laughs> the shining on the moon, moon We're shining on the moon, moonshine. That's what it's called. It's actually the movie would be called Regolith. Yes. <laughs> even when Sam Rockwell is being very charming, he still has a, uh, He's got a very edge. sinister yeah. quality to him. It, he it very much has that shit kind of albedo. I have my two yeah, obscure yeah, moon almost, things. Yeah, albedo. We call albedo. albedo. The shining on the moon. I, I would actually say... Keep that in your back pocket. That's a, that's a good way to hang on to that idea. <laughs> Sam Rockwell is very much like Jack Nicholson in that sense, where you yeah. know, even when he's very charismatic and very sociable, it, there's this... Sense of this something's in it. there that's yeah, going to go off. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I, he would, he would, oh. He's not my stronger choice for it. Yeah. Uh, jumping from Sam Rockwell playing the you know Kevin Bacon. First of all, Kevin Bacon. Kevin uh, Bacon. Second, <laughs> Kevin Bacon has done that. Kevin Bacon has been both. Oh, yeah. Tom Cruise. I was gonna say. I was yeah. gonna say. I was gonna say Tim Allen. Yeah. Hmm. I could say. Tim Give me a second. Let me think about it. Can he go that crazy? Uh, I don't know, but I could. He always yeah, has in a movie. If, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we that's don't the thing. Know. If you could get a director that could get him, there. Uh, does he like milkshakes? Can you make coke in those? Can you? Yeah, yeah. I think you could Tom get Tom Cruise him. though. Tom Cruise. Yeah, I think I would like to see this with Tom Cruise. I, I Tom Cruise. That's that's the kind of role Tom Cruise is built for. Yeah, but he, he, but he would never play. He yeah. so rarely would play a character like that. He'll play a German Nazi trying to a good kill guy. Yeah. A, well, that's a good a, guy. That's a, a hero. A good German Nazi. Yeah. Well, collateral. <laughs> Collateral is one of the few times. Yeah, like I said, he, he, he was did, badass. He's done it one time. You know, it's really. Uh, you know, and then for this, it's a shame he should do it. Scary more. ass. I'd watch bitch. that movie. I'm not even a huge fan of Tom Cruise, but I'm like, I'd fucking watch The Shining <laughs> with Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah I, I totally would. Oh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Daniel Day Lewis. Now, yeah. now, now, see, now we've kind of like stumbled into the anyone could, but who would do it awesomely kind of category. Yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks still. Well, Gary Busey could not Daniel be normal. Day, Gary Daniel Busey Day, would have yeah. a Nicholson problem. Daniel Day, Daniel Day Lewis is, is also a, a not. He's not. He's always just too intense. He's just the intensity. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's he'd be like, yeah, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, yeah, Willem Dafoe. It's, but uh, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, still my fave, my favorite yeah. uh, suggestion. Just because it'd be fun to watch. News love, Watch Ten. I love this. I love the quiet. It's like every so <laughs> yeah. often you get everything's this. fine. <laughs> this is, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey. every so often you're like, oh, hey, Stanley. I hey. guess this is your movie. I have it? one last thought on that subject before we move off. Ed Norton. Completely forgot Ed Norton existed, didn't you? 
Ed Norton. Yeah. I still I still can't get a, a picture K- of hey, Ed Norton. Hey, Brad Pitt. Maybe. I thought about Brad Pitt, but then I thought Ed Norton. I like Ed Norton more. Because I've seen him be really nice and really comforting and casual. And I've seen him be and fucking but think of, yeah, but think of Then think you get of, American History X and all yeah, that stuff. But think yeah, of Tyler Durden. Hour. Think of the arc of Tyler <laughs> yeah, Durden. He's yeah, get, but... He's I, get black news Do you ever wake up in the morning awesome. and think, I want to see Brad Pitt in more movies? I guess that's true. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, th- this might be an I easy do. answer, I actually. think he's great. Um, Gary Oldman. Dude. Yeah. Could be, could be. A little old. I wouldn't have. He'd, I, have, I to, actually, he'd have to go full everyone. on. He'd have to go full Commissioner Gordon yeah, at the exactly. beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Just, yeah. just to be able to go. I actually to, to, then, to then go to Zerg at the end. I actually wouldn't yeah. have thought. I would have thought he was too intense, except for Commissioner Gordon. And yeah. I was like, nope, he can play that. He can play that. Now role. here's a, another thing again that just tells you, again, if if you if you weren't convinced already that Kubrick is not primarily concerned with plot, is here's an entire plot. That goes nowhere. It's like we're going to watch this poor fella who, who plays more of a role in the book. In fact, I believe he survives in the book, does he not? Yes, he does. Um, but this guy, again, just sort of he like his job busted, the, whole, the but... whole back end of the movie is just a big fuck you to people who read the book because uh, it's like here he's, he makes this whole thing. He crosses the entire United States. He gets in his fucking snowplow. He drives all the way to the hotel. He walks in the door and he gets killed with an axe. Yeah. Done. <laughs> And it's like, which is a great, shocking, surprising moment, but how uncinematic is that? Yeah, right. Um, well, it's 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 a moment where you're, you, the mechanics of of storytelling will set you up for one thing, and then it's the filmmaker subverting those expectations. But you don't really like. It's not cool to have stairs with a carpet with that pattern. It's like camouflage them. Yeah, it's hard to walk up them too. You, just, you, you break your, your hip. brain goes nuts. It's yeah. also, go ahead. It's go well, on. it's a beautiful apartment. You wow. know, it's. He, the filmmaker should be like, oh, I'm setting up the rules, and then that's a that's a moment of subversion for the rules. The problem is that Kubrick doesn't ever really worry about setting up the rules in the first place. So it's like, oh, well, it's 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 a it's still the subversion, and it's still shocking and surprising, but it doesn't have. It's quite just the it's impact. just it's also that it it because of the pacing of the movie, it's just kind of taking so long to get to to mm. to you know it's a long walk for a short drink of water basically <laughs> um but uh, it, it's also interesting um later on he's got you know he's got the axe interesting and small change from the book but still interesting is um he had a sledgehammer in the book mm. yeah um which was much more brutal <laughs> a lot of the things he did but he didn't kill Halloran he just broke his jaw it wouldn't be Kubrick if he didn't get a beautiful nude woman in oh, there yeah. somewhere yeah uh, this is this is again one of those scenes where it's like hi Stanley Kubrick I guess <laughs> yeah, you are directing it is movie, a Stanley Kubrick you? film after all Okay, now maybe it's time, um, while we watch these delightful visual images, maybe it's time for me to tell my, my brief little anecdote about the first time I saw The Shining. Um, when it came out. Ooh, in, yeah, yes, do. In 1980, uh, it came out in 1980, and I was in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I believe this movie, you can check it out, a weird thing, I believe this movie came out in the summertime. For my story to make any sense, that would have to be true, which doesn't make any goddamn sense at all, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. This movie came out in the summer of 1980. Um I was staying, I was working in Nashville, Tennessee at Opryland, and I was staying at my grandparents' house. Um, my, now, my grandparents lived in this giant, gi- I mean big, not quite mansion, but big house in Bellmead, Tennessee, which is the ritzy part of town, um, in the middle of fucking nowhere. I mean, literally, you could run, you'd have to run a mile to get to the nearest neighbor. So it's like, you drove to this house, it was like this one little outpost on this giant piece of land, um, and it was a big, big ramshackle house, and weirdly enough... It was designed where you could literally stand in, like, the bedroom that was at one extreme end of the house and look out the door of that bedroom and see all the way down this one colossal hall 
all the way to the far wall of the room at the far end of the house. I'm already freaked out. I'm it's, just going to say, not cool. The house was built like a, sh- it's called a shotgun. It was like you know, one lengthy hallway and every other door. It looked like a fucking hotel. Unless you want a bowl. That'd be cool. I got off work one night because it was either, you either worked day shift for a while, then you worked night shift at uh, Opryland. I worked at night shift, and I was like, this movie called The Shining came out based on Stephen King. Yay. Stanley Kubrick. Cool. Um, midnight show. We. I go to a midnight show of The Shining. And I see it, and I watch it, and then I get in my little car, and I drive to the middle of fuck all nowhere, to this giant house, and my grandparents are on vacation, so there was nobody else there. And I come home to this giant, empty house where I'm the only soul for like a thousand square miles around, and I walk down this long hallway all by myself in the dark after seeing this freaking movie. Um, and I go to my, you know, the room at the end of the, but that room at the end of one extreme end of that long hallway was the room that I was using as my bedroom while I stayed there for the summer. There was a summer job. And uh, I walk in there and they're like, okay, everything's fine. And, you know, it's not really eerily quiet here. And I go into the bathroom, <laughs> getting ready for bed, and I go in the bathroom and I'm literally like brushing my teeth and I look in the mirror. And behind, yeah, and behind me is the shower. Now, I knew for a fact in my brain that. I got up that morning to go to work. I took a shower. And then I went to work. And then I came home. I went to see the shining. And then I came home. And I'm looking at the thing, and I'm seeing the shower curtain is closed. And I know that I did not close the shower curtain. And I stepped out. And I'm just like, Ooh. yeah, exactly. Oh, God damn it. And, uh, you know, do I want to turn around? And nope. open the shower nope. curtain? Nope, just die. Do I, want, do I want to do that? Do I just want to go to bed and pull the covers up way over my head and just go, it'll all be good in the morning? The ghosts can't get through the covers. I learned this in childhood. Yeah, it'll all be. They can't get through the covers. You'll be fine. Um, it's oh, just, dude. It's just, you know, it was like the perfect scenario for me to just like, for my own brain just to go, ah, you know, and uh, – they had, uh, they had, uh, you know, they had a maid. She cleaned the bathroom. So. Oh God damn it! <laughs> God damn it! That was, you know, that was my logical brain. You know, that was my skeptic brain. Just eight seconds before the murderer killed me, of course, to the thinking, oh, that's right, the maid was here, and she probably just cleaned the bathroom and closed the. Thing. But, uh, but that was that. I, I literally had the horror movie moment of I'm all alone in the giant house, brushing my teeth, Pan and the up. shower, and the shower curtain is closed. That can't be right. Ugh. So, so that's for that reason alone. And Jim Cameron was in the shower. Yeah, and it was Jim Cameron all along. For that reason alone, just The Shining is very memorable to yeah. me because I remember the night I saw The Shining and what happened after that. See, from, from my perspective as a skeptic, something like that happens to me and I fucking run out of the room because I'm like, because <laughs> I'm like, I, I, it's not a ghost. It's a guy. Yeah, you're, no, because I'm, because even if it, it, I'm like, okay, couple options. There's a guy. That's not good. I need to get out of there. There's a ghost. Fucking that yeah. freaks me out, and I need to get out of there. I don't believe in ghosts, but if there's a ghost in that in that tub, I gotta New get evidence. the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's new evidence. <laughs> or Pascal's wager. Or yeah. it's, well, that's, it's the tiger in the bush. It's like you know the reason we see ghosts. Yeah. The reason we see patterns where patterns don't exist is because our brains on the savanna. If the, if the bush rustles, your brain goes either it's a tiger or it's not. Better to yeah. falsely yeah. assume it might yeah. be a tiger exactly. and run. Your ancestors just said probably tiger yeah. are the ones that gave birth to you. So. Yeah. Exactly. The ones who <laughs> said yeah, it's the wind eaten. <laughs> Guy, yeah. ghost. 
it, it's it's either a guy right. or a ghost or nothing, and no one's gonna make fun of me because I'm alone. <laughs> yeah. No one's gonna know that happened. Exactly. So I, I can run and scream like a little girl, yeah. and it's perfectly okay. So I have. I, so like the Pascal's wager, I have lost nothing by running from the ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In this case, it's a, it's a story I told like last time we were doing the zombie movie where I was at Comic Con and you know a zombie walk came yeah. at me and I was like, oh look, a zombie walk, I should run. That'd be a really just fun. Just in case, I should run. That's the kind of heist I would plan and spend a lot of time on. Not trying to break into the Bellagio. Just tr- pick a friend at random and try to completely seamlessly convince him that his reality is falling apart. <laughs> just focus on doing that. Like spend a summer doing nothing but that. Save up some money and then just like whenever you have a chance to like you know his his habits and he's taking out the garbage, run upstairs and do a thing and then run back out and just like wait in your car and spend the entire summer trying to make his life. And that's why you're a terrible person. Yeah. Yes. Just completely unend his and do the thing where you like spin the table around 180 degrees. Which, like there was but like to see a movie with that premise, David Fincher's The Game. Yes, there you go. Oh, yeah. It's basically that yeah. movie. Yeah. God, that'd be funny. The Forgotten Fincher. So, Shelley Duvall... That's an um, alright pitch for a comedy, too. Yeah, Shelley yeah. Duvall pretty much is goes Dark to 11 comedy. in this scene and stays there for the rest of the movie. Yeah. So, you know, God bless her. And it's really, again, it's... I can see where Kubrick might have... Fa- I think I still think it's fucking cruel, but I can see where Kubrick might have had to do it if, you know, it was six months still left to go in the shoot or whatever. Because, I mean, the whole scene with the bat, the the scene in the... In the, the what's it uh, called? The staircase, in the Colorado room. The Colorado yeah. room. Uh, the the scene in the Colorado... I wanted to call it the Montana room. Like I know that's not <laughs> right, but I know it's a state. It looks like it should be Montana. Um, in the Colorado room, it's like... She is just breaking down. She's freaking out. But it's this long, steady cam shot through the whole thing. And there are cuts. So you have the sense where it's like, they probably took like two weeks to shoot this. Mm-hmm. And she had to be she had to be there every yeah. time the camera rolled. It's like we talked about with Sigourney Weaver at the end of Alien. It's like, you know, that's a, what, a 10, 15-minute sequence of her you yeah. know, getting to the escape pod? That, Being that scared took, all the time. That took days, at the very least. And yeah. she's an abject terror, you know, for that, you know, straight, continuous 10 or 15 minutes of screen time. Which translates into three weeks, or four right. days or weeks, and of, weeks of filming. And to be able to turn, like, I can kind of see, again, where Kubrick was coming from. Because it's like, that's not something you can turn on and off. Right. She, we, we, I, I can see him thinking, I can't let her completely relax out of that. Right. Because I'll never get her back up to it. I've got I've to keep, if I need her at 11, I've got to keep her at least an 8 all the, the time. The comparison that was made in the, the classes I was taking for a while is you, you know, it's called, it's called emotional preparation where you get yourself in an emotional state before uh, you actually do it. And the, and the analogy that my teacher used at one point is you want to keep yourself very near the boil and, you know, keep it kind of percolating. And then once you're ready to roll, that's when you kind of, on your own little emotional stove, you go from 7 up to 10 and, and boil over. Because it's, you have to kind of, you have to be almost there. You have to be close. You can't, be in that in, in that objective state, you know, twenty four seven while you're while you're shooting that for however long it takes you. Just that would destroy you as a human being. Whereas it seems like but Nicholson's to, always pretty close. much at an eight all the time anyway. Who is <laughs> Nicholson? <laughs> Nicholson's kind of like lives lives at eight. You know, yeah. as far as going full Nicholson or not. Oh, who's gonna clean this up now? Oh, for heaven's sake, Danny. Danny, you and your party balloons. You know, another uh, another movie that uh, is connected because it's based on a Stephen King uh, novel is uh, Stand By Me, which I just recently rewatched. And um, and the sp- and the documentary and special features about that. Of all things, it's like, you know, four young kids and, and you know, Rob Reiner. And they all the documentary, they're all talking about, oh, it was like a big family. And, you know, Rob was like our big brother. And we hung out and we did acting theater games, you know, because we're all, I mean, none of us were really actors that much. And, and uh, you know, it's so great and a wonderful experience and an amazing thing. And, and, uh, and then Ed Reiner admits that there was one time that he, he, you know, he wanted to make, you know, 
because these, these kids are like really too young to be actors. Mm-hmm. He literally first they cast kids who were as close to the characters as they could possibly get them, and then they just kind of made a place for them to kind of be able to just be that on film. Um, but Reiner tells a story, and the other kids, talk, the grown up kids, talk about it too, um, where there was one point where he did lose it with them, and it was, but it was appropriate. And it didn't seem to have any lasting effect, but it seems kind of a scary story. Is it's when the scene when they're crossing the train tracks and they're running from the train, and uh, and and it's like they had this whole dolly track move and all this thing, and and the kids are running from the train, running from the train, and they do the take and they do this run. You know, the grips are pushing this dolly down the dolly track down the train track, and 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 they weren't he wasn't getting the scared out of them that that he thought it needed, and they did several takes, and then at one point he just lost it and he screamed at him. He was like, "Hey!" What the? You know, I need you to be scared. You're not being scared. These men are tired of pushing this dolly. You're going to be here all day, and it's all because of you. And, and back, back to one. And now the kids are scared because Rob's yelling at them, and they're like, because <laughs> our set dad is mad. Exactly. It's like, and then, and then they got it. You know, suppose he got what they wanted. And now they're all, you know, in the in the modern day interviews, they're all like, yeah. So he yelled at us, and it really scared us. And so, you know, so I was like, I'd be first of all, it's like Entertainment Weekly would have written a whole fucking article. I would have been on the set, and you know, whatever. Like, Rob Reiner abuses children and they said it. Um, but it, it's funny how they it seemed a little like scary to me just to be telling that story like oh you actually you yelled at Will Wheaton he was like 11 what, are you, <laughs> what kind of douchebag are you you yelled at River Phoenix he would have yeah. kicked your ass he, he probably had a drug habit after that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, he probably had a drug habit during that. He let's probably be yeah, actually true. But um, you know, but that idea yeah, is so the one time he's like, "Yeah, we made this safe place for them to play." <laughs> one time I yelled at him, told him they were you know fucking up. And, and, and again, it's like as an isolated incident, I think those kind of things are okay. Yeah. And especially as an isolated incident, because movie sets are stressful and it's always a rushed thing, and uh, you know emotions and tempers uh, kind of run high and short. It's. It's the idea that here in The Shining that it was just this kind of sustained campaign over the course of a yeah. year that this yeah. woman had to live through that I it crosses my own personal moral event horizon. Yeah, it, it does seem, like, it does seem hard, to, hard to figure out. Although, I mean, it's if you watch the you know Vivian uh, Kubrick's documentary and if you read some of it, it's I mean, it's it's not entirely clear that it is 100 percent him being, you know, method directing it. I, he was a kooky guy. He was a kooky guy. He was a perfectionist. He was, you know, very demanding. And Matthew Modine talks about <clears throat> kind of this a very similar situation with, uh, you know, shooting Full Metal Jacket, where, you know, it, it was kind of the same deal. And Matthew Modine just finally got fed up and just kind of walked off set and started walking through, you know, those that that uh, that ruined city set that they were they were shooting on. And you know, Kubrick had to like come drive out and and find him and track him down and. And Modine kind of just breaks down and goes, "I just, I don't know what you fucking want from me. I don't know. I just, and so frustrated." And Kubrick kind of talking down and goes, "It's fine. It's cool. We're all fine." Um, so it's like I think, it you know, part parts of it are definitely Kubrick being a method director. But if you watch some of the behind the scenes and if you read some of it, I, it's he also did, parts it, of it are just he doesn't know where the line is. I, I think parts of it are just he didn't fucking like Shelley Long, ah, Shelley Duvall and maybe. didn't really like her performance. <laughs> that then that might be the case. We don't. Uh, I, I think it's elements of both, but you know where exactly the line fell. I think only Kubrick would know. Yeah. Here's another bit where I was like, oh hey Stanley, because <laughs> this yeah. is pure. So, it's yeah. like this is this is like the Clockwork Orange. Yes, crowd that's is exactly walk what right I was going to say. This yeah. is pure Clockwork Orange. Although with this, I actually got a flash watching this and then. When this scene came up, there was this, and then I flashed back to the bathroom, and I was like, 
oh, now I see Kubrick's version of AI. Yeah, true. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is the actor I, I was thinking about. Is is he was in something else? He was in Star Wars or something. I forget what, uh, what, what his name came up recently. But um, there was, and also there was a very long st- uh, extended take before that to, to to get them into the room was a was a very long take. The whole spilling and you know and this this is the kind of thing that makes me think about the process of making the movie because I mean you know picture picture this it's like for months literally probably months on end they're in this colossal colossal set this guy is Delbert Grady right I'm sorry yes, yeah this, they're in this colossal colossal set and shooting almost all the time three actors and then for about two days suddenly there's 500 extras on the set <laughs> And then they're gone again. You know, it's like that, I was thinking, like just the idea of, you know, the, probably the entire cast and crew probably ate lunch at like one table day after day after day. Like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, okay. And then one day there's 500 people that you have to like, okay, where are we going to put them? And they're going to be milling all over the place, and they all have to be in costume. And suddenly becomes this huge thing. The movie becomes 500 times bigger for three days, and then goes back to being small again. He was in Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. That's where ah. we know him from. Who was he in Temple of Doom? Uh, that one guy. That he was that guy in Temple of Doom. Brian, it doesn't speak he's the, highly he's of the, you. Uh, you I believe he's the colonel up. who comes in the end and like yeah. uh, saves yeah. the day. The yeah. cavalry. Yeah, that's right. Oh shit! Yeah, that yeah, guy. The, he's at the dinner. He's at the dinner. He has the conversation about the thuggies at the at the famous dinner scene. So here's a question. I don't know that Kubrick had all that much to do with it being carved around him, but he has, in his own way, certainly carved out a weird niche in Hollywood. This weird, almost untouchable place. I don't think I, I don't think he had any goal. I know, I know, I know. But yeah, how did that happen? How do you get to that point with just a few simple movies? Especially when you haven't made nothing but hits. I mean, he, he had his big well, ones and his small ones. He just it's, got it's, lucky. He won the filmmaker lottery. Yeah. I think it's yeah. really similar, what it boils down it's, to. It's similar to, to what we've talked about with Shyamalan. It's like, it's not that he didn't, it's not that he made nothing but hits. It's that the hits he made were big enough that people didn't want to go down in history as the one who said no to his next one. Yeah. The same thing with Tarantino. Is you know Tarantino yep. made such hits that now when he walks into the Miramax office, he can just yeah. shit on the floor and they'll go okay <laughs> and they'll greenlight it. And they'll greenlight it. Well, maybe not after Grindhouse, but <coughs> no, I think he got. Well, uh, they did. I mean, well, it, got, they got bastards, but well, the it was, was more like you know you can do the Hitler movie now, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can do the Hitler movie with Brad Pitt. Okay. And then he's like, "Ah, fooled you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fooled you." But but that's a well, that's a similar case. And like, so you're going to do the World War II film, right, where Brad Pitt kills a bunch of Nazis? Yeah, uh huh. And then he just goes off and makes the movie that he actually wants to make, <laughs> and they really can't fucking say anything about it. And that's the movie we have. Well, I'm sure they can. And now he's making. It's, it's, uh, not, it's not like Quentin Tarantino walks in Harvey Weinstein's office and like bends him over the table. <laughs> no, you it's know, not. it's like there actually still is. There Some is a give, and give and take, take there. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's making uh, Django Unchained, which is his western, which I'm sure will be. That I, might I, be worth watching. It'll look like a, a hell of a western in the trailer, and then you go see it. You're like, oh, it's just. About <laughs> it's a the, musical. It's about the. It's about the bartender in this one town. <laughs> and that's it. Just, just tending the bar. But yeah, after that, we will get Kill Bill three. Yeah. So, so okay. Fair enough. Or at least so IMDb tells us. So <laughs> yeah, the, back to the question you were asking is, uh, you know, I mean, who else? I think I think David Lynch is another one where it's kind of like that one baffles. You me. know, it's like David. It's like I don't know I, where that I, came from. And I'm gonna say it's like you know, it's like I to this day I don't know why we think David Lynch is that great, but you know, how look, do you arbitrate? Lucky someone... for him, you know, good for you, no, David. Totally, Lynch, yeah. You know, I just don't understand how the fucking hive mind of film criticism arbitrates 
between a thousand filmmakers that have existed that didn't make much sense. I don't, I don't know how they arbitrate between, you know, because a lot of... Uh, we we they, picked David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick. Crazy. I, I, I would I, I would have picked uh, these other two guys. I don't part know of how it they... is film personality. Part of it, I think, is the personality of Kubrick and Lynch and yeah. kind of this, you know, recluse... The, you know, the resistance to explain oneself. Yeah, kind of the monk on the hill or, you know, the monk in the retreat that is... These are Obi-Wan you movies. You know what? You know yeah, what? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, people look at, you know, Kubrick and go, yeah, he's kind of an Obi-Wan, so... You know everything. That, that actually could be it because I was going to say I I wonder how people arbitrate between a movie that is incomprehensible because it's genius and incomprehensible because the guy who made it is incompetent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's the difference between Birdemic and a David yeah, exactly. Lynch film? Well, well, but I mean, but I think it's exactly what he said. David Lynch won't explain himself. Right. Yeah. The Birdemic, Birdemic guy, guy that's will go mistake. out will go out and explain himself, and it's like, oh, you didn't do that at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now no. I will, now I will say though that uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's just for me personally. Um, between, you know, sit, okay, it's time to sit down and watch every movie one of those two guys ever made. I'm going with Kubrick. Um, <laughs> because Kubrick is more, is more for me, is more of a, how is he I doing? don't think Kubrick gets off on his weirdness. I think David Lynch does. I, 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 all I'm saying is, for me, that it, it's just, it comes down to a difference of watchability. It's like Kubrick doesn't follow the rules, and his movies are kind of like they, they're, they're what they are, but they're interesting and fascinating and watchable. And Lynch, I just get about five minutes in, and I go, what the fuck yeah. is this? Kubrick, I don't care what happens for the next 30 minutes of this. I don't think Kubrick is – it's it's similar to what you just <laughs> said, Teague. I, I don't think Kubrick is trying to be weird and artsy. He's just – he's making – He just is weird and artsy. He, yeah, he just is. Right. He's just yeah. making the movie that he sees in his head, and it makes perfect sense to him, and just the rest of us are like, <laughs> whereas Whereas I think someone – but maybe David Lynch. I haven't really I seen David much Lynch of his is stuff, trying, I think David Lynch is just weirder than Kubrick. Uh, I, think, I think Lynch is just – Lynch is – Lynch makes movies, but you know he could he could have just like taped a sneaker to his forehead and banged it on a typewriter and been a novelist. I mean, he just he's just he just does that. He just does. If you talk about learn to look into his history, he like you know when how he started getting into film. It started as like as literally as like an art thing, and you know again he just sort of ended up doing it. And it's like well okay you know good good for you, David Lynch. You know but, what I'm, it's uh, it's I, I might. I've had a little a little thought storm here. Maybe it's not necessarily that they're. It's the, the I would change the terminology. It's that they're not accessible. It's that they they have that sort of otherworldly nature that makes them. It's it's it carries with it the recluseness of it, but it also has the. Every once in a while, you'll find an artist where it's like Andy Warhol, where it's like, I could try to interface with that human being, but I don't think I'd be one hundred percent successful, even if I was trying to tell him what time it is. That kind of thing, I think that. You can smell that on a piece of work. It's, well, it's also worth noting that, that you know, compared to uh, Lynch, um, it's not like it's not like Kubrick's movies generally are incomprehensible. Two thousand one skirts the, the line a little bit, and I think because most people think of Kubrick and two thousand one, they think those are the kinds of movies he makes. But it's not that hard to follow the thread of Full Metal Jacket. It's not hard to follow the thread of Doctor Strange. Lolita, I think, or is the, is the most Orange. straightforward of all. Yeah, or Clockwork Orange, based, on, on, based on a novel. So the the spine oh, is there, just, and, just like this. And this one's fairly straightforward too. I mean, they're they're. We have quibbles with the emotional reality of it and our ability to connect on that level with it. But story-wise, it's fairly straightforward. It's not hard to follow. Yeah. Like, guy goes crazy, kills his family. Yeah, exactly. his family. Yeah. It, it, well, in the terms of The Shining, it's like that, that's a very clear, simple emotional story. It's just that the, the, the stuff around the edges, the ghosts and the, the supernatural element of it, there's, you know, like we talk about in Constantine, a bunch of other things. You know, in Constantine, you, can, you get a sense of the rule book, even though we, we're not really shown the rule book. Here... <clears throat> It doesn't feel like there's a rule book. It doesn't feel like Kubrick has worked out the rule book of the supernatural for himself. 
so that we kind of get a feeling of that consistency, which seems to be the case. Because he's a genius because they wanted to keep you on your toes. Yes, right, right. Yeah, that's why well, he's a I genius. Mean, it's, it's perfectly fine if that's w- what he set out to do, which I think it was. It's like, as you know, Stephen King said, he's like, he just didn't care about the supernatural stuff, so he didn't worry about it. Um, I, yeah, again, I think... The know. better question is, how can I become Stanley Cooper? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I think because I can frame the, I can frame a shot square. <laughs> exactly, I can do perfect I can put symmetry. I can do all these things. Yeah. Perfect perspective. And again, can... it might be, and we might just we truly we make jokes, but we really might not get it. We might not get what he's doing that does inherently that, tap into mo- so that, many people. Well, that's the thing. I th- uh, I I was just thinking that because he does weird things. He does, you know, when when Danny's having his his visions, he'll do the weird flashes of just you know the face going ah, or whatever, um, and just the way he cuts and stuff like that. It's. It's one thing if you if you look at that and you're like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm making a I'm making my student project and I'm gonna do weird cuts like Kubrick, but it's like, but but Kubrick thinks that way. He's not he's not doing it like Kubrick. He's just he just thinks that way and that's the <laughs> way he makes movies. Um, and that's what that's what made him Kubrick. It's it's not it, an affectation for him. Exactly. When you try to do it the same way, you're affecting a Kubrick quality. Exactly. And if it if if you can kind of internalize stuff like Kubrick and make that work for you, and, and ma- it's it's just like uh, we talk about film vocabulary. It's just it's just like people who you can tell, especially like online and stuff. They went to the thesaurus for for the words <laughs> because it's like that's not really how you use that word. I get what you're saying, but I know that you had a normal word for that, and then you looked up a big yeah. word to try and sound smart. That's it, as opposed to you can tell when an actual intelligent person is talking because they'll use the big word, but you're like, no, that word belongs that, there. That, because that's that, a, that word's, the best word yeah, for that situation. That word, yeah. that word is part of your vocabulary. You didn't look that up just to impress me. That's just the word that occurred to you. Right. And that's the way it is with Kubrick. You know, that's, these are the words that occur to him. As His shorthand is long. Do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> His wow, shorthand is longer. That sounds like something that would be uttered right before a kung fu fight. Yeah. Yeah. Your shorthand, your shorthand is, is long. long. <laughs> And he gets on a plane. <laughs> it's like, we literally, talk about shoe leather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. We just follow him for the rest of his life. <laughs> exactly. We literally do. We see pretty much every moment of the rest of his life. <laughs> this, is, this is like a shaggy dog story, really. Yeah, like, his totally whole subplot is. is a shaggy dog it story. It totally is. I, and it's like, so, it's, okay, okay. So, he gets the weird feeling, right? And then he's, he's, he, he feels like something's like, okay. up. So, he, oh, he calls thank the authorities. Because yeah, yeah. there's no other hope. And, yeah. uh, and I, so he, you know, he tries to, uh, but then he realizes he really should go. So he goes to the airport and he books a blanket and he gets on the plane and he goes all the way to the plane and he gets, a, uh, uh, and then he dies. Axe in the chest. <laughs> Sucker punch. Walks in the door. <laughs> Shut I'm dead. But Sucker um, punch. See, now he's in the center. But uh, uh, it, it yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah. All right. Like, see, I'll buy into that. Yeah. And that's that's right on the cusp for me of you know fun filmmaking and and being pretentious is all hell. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's you know it's okay because it's not like it's not it's not like it's like he went on you yeah. know he didn't go on Johnny Carson go now you see let me explain my genius to you because you'll notice and if you didn't notice this you're a douchebag. Um, it's okay. just you know. but there is there is one aspect of that that he apparently did do with this movie which is um, that he he for the for the audio when when. Jack is typing. He actually recorded someone typing "All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy" over and over again, <laughs> okay. so that it would be accurate. His his secretary at the time was the one that was responsible for having to actually type. Someone had to make pages. those pages that we're going to see. I didn't know this until I was researching this for this. Apparently, I, they, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, they <laughs> shot several versions of it in different languages for all the various for international, the international releases. Ones, yeah. Using idioms specific to those languages. Yeah. Huh. I love uh, I love that. I yeah, think that's, that's great. amazing. 
So you know, what does that mean? But wait, if they shot, so, but if they shot it, but it was, it would have to be subtitled anyway. It would maybe like the text was no, different. No, 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 the it, text on the pages was the. So suddenly, if you're in Germany, video. it's a movie in English, except for he's writing in German. Except on he's a, writing in German. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so the idiom, you know, is whatever the German idiom that basically means that. Hold you know, on, it's I'll, like, I'll look it yeah. up. Oh, oh there's a medium. I'm like, so when it goes to Egypt, he's on papyrus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be interesting. Idiom. Uh, here we go. Uh, in the Italian version of the film, Kubrick used the phrase. I'm not going to try and say him in their languages, but Kubrick used he the He was writing Italian with a cheese stick. He who wakes <laughs> up early meets a golden day. For the German version, it was never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. For Spanish, it was rising early will not make dawn sooner. And for the French, hmm. it was a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That doesn't have anything to do <laughs> with this. A bird in the hand is worth yeah, two that, in the bush. Like, that, 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 that doesn't that fit. Does, that, that's not right. <laughs> Were they just picking idioms? Because that's not funny. That doesn't equal at all. Well, if you really look at it, all work and no play doesn't make a whole ton of sense itself. It's, yeah. it's no, more I'm just, just saying that that's not an adequate replacement for all work and no play makes Jack a double. It, well, it, it, does, it does kind of work, though, because, again, it's that it idea sort of, of does, but this is him working, but he's not working, you know, and, and he, when, he's he wants, just, when he's going to play, what's that going to be like? And yeah. It does kind of have an ominous sort ring of, to it. Sort of, but it it has the feeling, of, to me at least, of like when you... When the lights flash and sync to the music, it's like they're not really flashing and yeah. the music. It's just your brain. And fair enough. I mean, you know, the, 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 the idea is that he's typing the same thing over and he's, over again. Yeah, yeah. he's typing. That's, that's, that's the germane part. You know, that's he's the just been having part. a pathological, you know, thing that he's doing, and that's fine. So again, it's like, and then he drives. I mean, you know, okay. <laughs> this is a really expensive little shot here, too. Well, they, they just, over a they just and... got you know they rented a plane interior and filled it with extras just for him to go. What time do we get to Denver? Yeah. That said, <laughs> that said, was it Germany that had one of the hands worth two in the bush? Because that gives it that gives it a weird yeah French. It gives it a weird ominous feeling because imagine that you're well, watching the version of The Shining. There's him, two people so, with yeah, him. So who does he think is the the one in the bush? Because if he has I'm sorry, who does he think is the one in his hand? Because there's the two in the bush, which the, the point of that thing is that it's better to have one with you than two over there. Right. So who does, if they're the two over there, who does he want to have? My, my point still stands. Flashing lights to the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm that's, just saying let's, it makes a big internet blog post about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. That's <laughs> yes. the kind of thing where it's, where that that's the level of, of, you know, disorientation where maybe you think about that a little bit and you're like, I don't quite understand that and that freaks me out, you know, and <laughs> it's the, like that feels appropriate. The most meaningful us. thing about the, the all work and no play make, makes Jack a dull boy is his name is Jack. So at least it makes that kind of sense. <laughs> Jack wants to play. What's he going to do? He's going to play with his axe. A Jack in the hand is worth two Jacks in the bush. And about the only thing I can think of, again, you know, from my limited non-genius filmmaking perspective, um, I'm no Kubrick. But it's hard to be on that level, isn't it? It, it totally is, but it's where I've been all my it's life. It's exhausting, let um, me tell you. Is, is, which is completely fused by this scene here, is if you watch that, if we're going to watch the entire trek literally across the goddamn country, uh, Scatman Crothers, then I guess I, I could see you would do that to not see the hotel. Because, like, oh, by the time he gets there, what the fuck is going to be going on by the time he gets there? But they totally diffused that by showing, oh, oh well, you yeah. know, I'm having breakfast. You know, that's okay. But if you literally, like, spent that whole time with him, I think there would be attention to that. In your head, um, you're like, oh, it's just getting worse. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, by the every, time every he, second and he goes spend, up, and now he's in the snowplow, and he's going up, and there's the hotel looming, and the lights aren't on. And every second he's going to he walk in the plane, front door. It's okay. And what's he going to find? And, you know, what's going on? But, but it's not constructed like that. Right. Because in the hotel, he's getting chocolate milk. Yeah. Everything's kind of okay, except for, you know, right. she, she is carrying a baseball bat now. I chocolate milk in like 10 years. I yeah. want chocolate milk. Chocolate it, milk is awesome. I'm going to go get some at 7-Eleven. <laughs> Last night at the store, I almost like I came this close to it. It, it can't was have like, been that long. It was it's some new, years, you know, but... fancy organic carob flavor. But it was chocolate milk, and I almost like, mm, I almost went for it. You've had a white Russian recently, haven't you? 
Yeah, that's not chocolate, though. That's that's, that's, that's even better. That would be a black Russian. Chocolate yeah. milk that gets you hammered. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I mix a lot of... Never mind. <laughs> I, I just right. call I, I just call things things. No, yeah, I make I just, I just use words. I make a deeply chocolatey white Russian that will also fuck you up, and that's oh, how yeah. I went to bed last night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so there's. I that. took my medicine. Chocolate milk though is something that's never bad. Chocolate chocolate milk is always always If you look at the underlying meanings, like in the existential sense of, of chocolate oh, milk, yeah, yeah, I think you really yeah. find out what it means to be human. Hmm. It doesn't make any it. sense. The spaces don't work. <laughs> the chocolate milk isn't chocolate. That's what Kubrick is trying to say. <laughs> I, I loved before it was clear that I was actually doing a joke. Mike looked at me and his eyes went. <laughs> <laughs> Where is he going with this? It was, it was a great reaction. Okay, so here you go. Bird in the hand is worth two in the dull boy. <laughs> you. Yeah, uh-huh. see, now you're disturbed. No TV. Hey, no hey, beer, I just thought of another homework. one for, yeah, so for The Shining, something. Richard Gere. Ooh. Because we were they talking went. about putting animals in people. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you went there. Yeah. Okay. No, but Don't seriously. Bug. But seriously, seriously Richard, Richard Gere was tight. That's what I like. Yeah, the... Um, I like that they're... they're he probably just told the person, just type it as fast yeah, as you type can. It doesn't have to be you, perfect. And if you yeah. fuck up, that's better. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, no, nothing wrong with that. I, I like the idea. I'm completely inventing this this, this story idea, oh, but I like sucks. the idea. That job sucks so much. Yeah. That, yeah, that she started that's... doing this, and you know, maybe three days into it, at, at first was very meticulous about it. You know, knowing Stanley Kubrick, you know, being a very meticulous person. But by day three, she's like, "Fuck she it," just and typing it. Mm-hmm. And so, giving that stack of papers to him and hoping that he doesn't turn to the middle one with the typos. Uh-huh. And of course, he immediately does and yeah. goes, "Ah, this is the one." I love that it's in every format. Shelly, yeah. please there's, try not to wrinkle those. Because there's script. Yeah, there's, there's, there's poetry. There's, there's there's prose. There's poetry. There's there's screenplay format. He's he's been really busy. Yeah, <laughs> he's really he's really working working a lot. When I was in when I was in high school, I had a um, I, I would take the AP test, and it's just a long test where some of them, like government, uh, AP government and stuff, you have to write essays. And they don't let you leave. If you finish, they don't let you leave. Mm-hmm. So there was a point where I'd written all my essays and stuff like that, and then I just turned a couple pages, and then I just wrote a letter to the person person grading and blah, blah, blah. And then I literally wrote, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy until my hand <laughs> <laughs> And they called to see if you were okay. <laughs> that explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now it's like, okay, now... Yeah. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Here's where it gets scary. Hello. And and by the way, this this moment right here where he goes, how do you like it? I'm like, I feel like I've been in this moment before. <laughs> I feel like I've been in the moment where I've read something awful and yeah. someone's like, how do you like it? I'm oh like, my oh. God. I went, a long time ago, I was on a plane ride and I, I had my notebook out and I was I was you know writing away whatever I was writing at the time. Some and bullshit it, about Chewbacca. Some bullshit. Um <laughs> uh, at that point in my life, it could very well have been fan fiction. I have no idea. Uh, and some girl who was probably around my age, you know, teenager or late twenty or late teens, or whatever, sat next to me and struck up conversation, and then asked me to read her play, which I then had to read on the oh airplane. Oh my god! Oh and god! Then give her oh god notes. This scene, this scene is what that feels like <laughs> when when you're asked to read someone's work and you know they're not going to take any criticism well, but it's not good. That's that's. This this is what that feels like. That's the uh, the universal uh, response is well you you achieve what you set out yeah. to do. It, <laughs> you know what? It's very um interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, I like what a lot of people. I like what you're finish. doing. Although I have a weird quibble about the uh, the Jack Adult Boy on page. Yeah, yeah that's right. The, um, is that did you mean to say? I, no. I, I think that? if you really want to jar them, you should put a comma right in the middle of the word. Yeah, uh, I think that would really. Uh, but everything every, everything else, this is thoroughly creepy. Good job. This is this is also uh, this is pretty well done. The fact that 
it's like, oh no, I mean, it's it's pretty late in the movie to be figuring it out, but it's like, yeah, I get it. He hears what's going on. Danny knows what's happening right now. He's he's yeah. there in some psychic sense. And he's it's the great thing about Danny is is I always get the sense from the movie that Danny kind of knows where it's all going to go. Yep. Even. I always had that sense too. It's like Danny, Danny's like he has that little earlier on. He has that moment where he's sitting on his dad's lap, you know, having like a nice little maybe you should take, go to bed. Yeah. And and it's <laughs> I always take this Danny's like cuz later you're going to try and kill us with an axe yeah. and I'm going to make you freeze to death. It's well, like, Tony Man- to, Tony told me the whole spiel. Yeah. It's going to suck. Scatman Crothers says you know when he's talking about the shining in the beginning he says you know see things that haven't happened yet. So I mean, it's it's he, it's yeah. set in dialogue. Well he ha- and he, he has the he has the line in it. I mean it's clear in the book he literally has a, a premonition about what's going to happen when they uh, if they go to Yeah, the and, and it's all about the explosion about it's it, it, there's a there's a recurring line that's that Tony keeps saying is that you know your dad's going to forget something very important. Right. It's something like that. Right, but he he sees basically the shadowy shape of of he later realizes it's his dad, but he sees a familiar shape coming at him and and screaming about taking his medicine and swinging a sledgehammer. Around. Yeah. Oh, take take your medicine. Yeah. That's that's the yes, that's the recurring. That's yeah. the that's the crossover into crazy line. It's time to take your medicine. And uh, uh, but but it is it is implied in because in that same scene, you know, is why don't you go to bed and stuff like that. He also he also just puts out the line. You never hurt mommy and me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like trying to get in there and be like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Do you know that you're thinking it? Yeah. It's yeah. It, and that's and that's you know, the probably the one of the most twisted ideas of all is the fact that this kid knows what's going to happen. Right. You know, and he just he's just kind of like R2D2. Like, he knows the whole yeah, story. He knows he's the whole just story. Not talking. You know, and he, he he's trying it in his way to try and see if he can prevent it from happening. But he's already kind of thinking it's it's coming. Now th- this is the scene where everyone's like, "Oh, I'm glad they got Nicholson for this." Yeah, this yeah. is why you get Nicholson. And this is this but, is the scene that even even if it were Hanks or Cruz or whoever else, oh, Nick only Nicholson could do this scene <laughs> yeah, this, quite this at this way. intensity. Yeah. You can't handle the stairs. Yeah, but but I mean, look at her. As well, yeah. I mean, yeah. She, she's gonna be man. now. It's, this would be one moment. It's like I could walk into a room cold, and if that came at me, I'd be doing what she's doing right. too. I, I that's not hard to, well, get, it, to that, get to that level. It's it's, like, it's true. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's it's. I I will say that it was a great choice, uh, even a brilliant choice by Kubrick. <laughs> the way it's shot with him coming at us, he's coming at the camera, and you're getting you're getting both barrels of what yeah. she's getting, and it's like, wow, I totally am. Like you said, I totally see where she's coming from right now. But at the same time, to give that kind of performance with you know twenty people and a dude with a crazy steady camera rig that you've never seen mm-hmm. before and stuff like that following you around. And is it lunchtime yet? Yeah, to be yeah. to be able to. To shut that out, even Rap. even with, I mean, Nicholson's giving her plenty to work with, certainly. But to be able to ignore that going on and right. give that level of of performance is which is, is the not essential, easy. It, that's the the central job description of the actor yeah. is to be able to shut all of that stuff exactly. out. But I but I but I, my my thing is I don't think Shelley Duvall gets a lot of credit as being, an actress for, having, for having the capacity to do that. Yeah, yeah no, she 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 really. She is the other half of, of I think what what's what makes this work. And, you know, it's funny just the way he's doing this scene, like especially the light of my life. It's like uh, another nominee, although maybe we've Someone already in the kind chat of room seen him do it. One, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Is he exactly just turned what into Dr. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Suddenly, you go, "That's Jim Carrey." You see, it, you're looking at right now. Oh, he'd be that's, good. Yeah, I see that good. working. I mean, uh, you know, split credit between Doc Sub and Trey. It's funny how we both, yeah, it's something about the way he was doing it. It's like, of course, light of my life. it meant nothing at the time because you know, Jim Carrey wasn't on the radar. But suddenly there you go, that looks just like Jim Carrey would be doing it. 
And then it kind of pays off, you know, again, kind of well in that you think, oh, it's this huge buildup. And then she, you know, she gets, <laughs> she gets the shot in. Oh, knocked him out. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Now here. Oh, and then the tension of him slowly waking up yeah. and it's just. Yeah. And you're like, you oh, just, no, drag faster, drag faster, must drag faster. It's the slowest race in the world. Yeah. Must drag faster. But the whole time it's on it's on him, you yeah. know. It's like, oh god, oh god, I don't know what she's doing or where she's going, but but yeah. faster. Whatever you're doing, do it faster. Seriously, Jack Nicholson scared the shit out of me in that documentary. <laughs> just the way he is. Now it might have been like Brian was saying. It's just he had to kind of keep himself in that mindset the whole time he was out there. It could be, but, but I, I fuck, could easily like he was see. like he was creeper, creeper, like really weird. I, well, it could be that I could also see Jack Nicholson is just like that in life. I could too. But he's the kind of guy that if if he likes you, your life is awesome. But if he if he thinks you're an asshole, you just don't want to <laughs> you don't want to be in you're the same doomed. room with him because he's you're doomed. And he will make that decision before you've even spoken to him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the more actually one of the more realistic moments in movie history because it's like you know he got hit in the head with a baseball bat and he fell down a flight of stairs. He's not going to leap to his feet afterwards. <laughs> he's he's going to have about ten minutes of wait wait, wait what the fuck wait wait huh? Yeah, you know, but that's but that's where the tension comes from. It's like you yeah. know how he's he's moving, it's yeah, like, and yet you still have a few minutes <laughs> to drag him into the freezer and seal him up. But uh, you know, it's scary. Our trope from Pavlich is locked in a freezer, and instead of defining it, because no shit, <laughs> you guys are gonna start naming them. Can you think of any? Go. The Blob. The Blob is one. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is one. Big one. Michael J. Fox. Uh, uh, Frighteners. The Frighteners. Jack Nicholson. Survey says. Shining. All of those were right. We also have Scary Movie 2, Hollow Man, Long Kiss Goodnight, Flushed Away, Short Circuit 2, but no one cares. Um, wow, we actually got most of them. And Entangled. Oh, yeah. of course. And here's the Kubrick shot. This, I love, is, this, this is, is a really awesome fa- fascinating shot. By the way, you, and, you see him create this shot in the documentary. Yeah. I, I, what I love about that moment in the documentary where you see him create the shot, it's it's uh, such a great dichotomy between what, it actu- what it, the process of creating a movie actually is, regardless of whether the filmmaker is a genius, and... The, the mantle what of that genius. guy would have thought. Well, yeah, what the, what the guy... <laughs> he was you know, setting thr- up over the shoulder. He's like, wait a second, I have an idea. And he well, lies down on his back. He's like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah we'll do this. well, it's just like, you know, the guy after the fact, thrusting genius of, upon Kubrick goes, you know, he's doing this and there's all of this art history, his you power know, thematic. His uh, looming and, over you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, feel, when, it feels uh, like he's he's under something, the way yeah. it's shot. It feels well, like it's, he's pushing up on, on something that's weighing yeah. down. But what, him, I, that's well, nice. what I mean is, like, you know, the... Th- the 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 character that or the genius or the mantle that gets put upon Kubrick by film analysts like that and you know happens in other instances too it's very like he's a genius right. because of the art history involved here and then you actually see how that moment comes about and Kubrick yeah. just lays down on the ground and goes yeah, yeah and, that's pretty good and, and jumping back I said the, the the reason for it is like he had a very mundane problem it's like I got a guy talking to a door yeah. how do I get a shot of that that yeah. looks like something yeah yeah so you know. so. You know, he lays down and looks at that, and it may be, you know, uh, the reason I like that shot is again, it feels like he's pushing up against he's pushing up against something that's trying to trying to crush yeah. him and weigh him down. Um, Kubrick may or may not, you know, I didn't know the guy, but I doubt he had that conscious thought. Yeah. But when he laid down, 
that's what he responded. I mean, look to. at that. He look, felt look that, at, and yeah. he had he had enough of an artist. Look at the problem he had. Look, at, look how deep set that door yeah. is. You can't even get a side angle on him talking yeah. to that door. You know, it's exactly. like literally there is no shot. How can I? That's the only shot of Nicholson's face that was even possible for yeah. that yeah. setup. So you know, it's or just, you put or you put the camera where the door ought to be. Exactly, you do a, you do camera. like a yeah. you know like as if there was a, like a peephole, and you just do a mega wide angle, which you know might have been his second choice, but. <laughs> Yeah. Run, Shelly, run. It's just the idea of <laughs> a- adding all of this <laughs> adding all of this uh deliberation that doesn't actually exist in the moment. Yeah. It's it's again, it's just it's a it's a very clever, you know, it's admittedly it's very clever and interesting, you know, way to solve a, but what is a really mundane problem. Yeah. yeah I I think a lot of a lot of the things that people write these reams about, you know, this shot means that and blah blah blah. If you actually ask the filmmaker, not just Kubrick, but anyone, yeah. it's like, why did you do that? Either we couldn't get a shot of his face. Otherwise. I was setting up like four different shots. That was my favorite one. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. It, or or exactly, it felt right. I liked that one. Yeah, my, the DP <laughs> said we should well, try. Well, because I was responding to the fact that it made him a little bit different. The DP said we should try it. I said it was bullshit, but what the hell? Uh, and we did uh, it. It was okay. And now I'm a genius. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I set test, man. I, I'm yeah. gonna I stick by that set test. If you go up to them between uh, setups and you go, hey, what the fuck. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be able to articulate any of that. Yeah. For the most, and most be, of the time. Be you, beware the coffee. ones. Beware <laughs> the ones that can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those are the ones you want to be be yeah. careful of. Okay. Backs away slowly. Yeah. Uh oh. You're thinking too much. <laughs> We're never gonna get this done. Um. I I do like the the way the interstitials. Uh, the the little title cards scare the shit out of you. Shorter. Well, they get short. <laughs> well, first, yeah. first of all, yes, I think that's cheap, and I'm not a huge fan of that. But yeah. uh, the way they they do that in this movie. Oh. But maybe. But maybe that's a. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe is genius. In the chat, Zarban says, "This is the movie that made me afraid of 4 p.m." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's a context thing, though. Maybe that maybe the the jump scare did that come from The Shining or did that proceed? No, it? no, it's been there. Oh, it's, uh, the shot cut has been around for quite okay. some time. It's but funny to with do the, it with, with the music, but... though. The hard the the, the yeah, music. It's scan. it's it's a fairly cheap shot. You yeah, know, that would have been used earlier. Okay, like the movies. But um, uh, I like. I like that it narrows down. It's like you know, Sorry, one, like one, one month, month later, later and, yeah. and then and then you know, a week later, six fifteen, Tuesday, Wednesday, eight p.m., four p.m. It's like you get this sense of even though the pacing hasn't changed a lot, you feel there's an energy. It's like something yeah, is we are accelerating. Accelerating. You you feel like it. It conveys a sense of we're getting closer to the finish line yes. without actually telling you where the finish line yeah, is. Exactly. It's like it's like all right, you're not going to tell us about the next day. Even when yeah. it, when the first thing you see is eight a.m., it's like we're not getting to tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. whatever yeah. reason, we're this not. This is the last day. Yeah, we're not going to make. It doesn't any matter further. what day it is because we're not getting to the next one. Right. This uh, I think this is the one time where the ghosts or the whatever actually Actively manifest something. Yeah. Actually, they're other, they're other than, capable of doing something other than doing whatever they did physically to to, to, to Danny. To Danny, yeah, and, yeah. Which still could have been, you know, you could still pass that off as as he does in the story as as Danny did it to himself. But yeah, it's like you know, there's no way Danny's for having him. this whole fucking Fight Club thing. Going exactly. On so then that's possible. There's, yeah, so. but there's but no yeah. way you can deny that. There's no way that this got him out. This here is right. like okay, but something something. There, there is no out. other explanation other than the ghosts undid the door yeah. and opened the door for him. Exactly. Which is which is a great quiet thing later because um it ju- just just to have in your subconscious because later on you know Danny's hiding and it's like this place is huge just don't go anywhere don't move and you know Danny Danny reveals himself and runs away but I'm like just after thinking that I was like the ghost would betray him yeah like, <laughs> to to his father you nah, have to keep moving. Work. 
A lot of great, uh, uh, great, great performances coming out of Nicholson with just cameras. The cameras just pointed at him and be like, all right, do your crazy. <laughs> and he <laughs> and does it. And crazy. Yeah. This is the kind of thing we would make fun of at a Kevin Smith film. What? I don't just think a, I would. Just a weird angle and a lock off, and it just goes and goes and goes. No, and I would, I, that's what if, I like if about Kevin, Kevin If Kevin Smith, Smith did anything that was an interesting angle, I would, like, send him a dollar. because. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Smith has never shot anything with any sort of interest whatsoever. I I, I liked I liked Clerks. I like Clerks just. I like Clerks. I can't. Clerks someone guy. should sh- make a movie of that because <laughs> uh, you know it's like he, Smith has never been a great director ever. I mean he's he's gotten just by osmosis now that he's done like fifteen of them. You know he he can kind of shoot a movie now, but uh, well, his, he, his, he's his in DP no way a visual stylist good. and never has been. His DP has gotten gotten there. You go. Skills. So, yeah. My point was that shot wasn't very visually styled. No, but that's not what's that's not the important part, really, of what's going on. I think I, you could you could even give it the credit that that's what helps it because that shot is just a whatever shot, but it's like he's talking to a fucking ghost. Yeah, that's about yeah. to let him it, out it, of the. It, well, does, it, have, it, it does, does have a lot of depth to it. I mean, I would say that that has a very Kubrick shot. It's a very wide angle lens on a subject. I mean, the the Kubrick look, as often it, it, in many cases, is a subject. On a wide-angle lens, where you have this vast environment surrounding them, and then you know within that tiny, tiny context, you know there was, you know that that angle of the shelf with the, the fucking Nilla wafers on it. It was it was a shot about Nilla wafers for some reason, and uh, you know it's 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 not flat, and it's you know an average filmmaker would be like, oh, you're standing against the wall, bang, done. That shot actually had some depth to it. I was I, I was actually looking at that shot, going, wow, that's kind of interesting shot. Yeah, the secret the secret is the reason. They call them camera angles, as you should have some angles in them, not just yeah. flat walls. Except for sometimes, you know, Kubrick will do that, but that's all because of the but, the, the perspective composition right. that he's well, doing exactly. in Exactly. He's still got, he's, he's always yeah. has now here's where you're like, wait, what? Where's this going? Yeah. Because that's the other thing about it is the first time through the movie, you're not quite sure about the kid either. Because right. the kid's yeah. like, he hears voices, and sometimes he becomes somebody else, and what the hell? And he's writing murder backwards places. Yeah, and is the whole gist of it is that the did they say it in the movie because it's it's in the it's in the book that that the they're using dad, but they don't the 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 spirits of the hotel whatever is the evil thing that drives the hotel isn't interested in dad. They want the kid because he has this power. He has the power. Yeah. So that's not that's not clarified in the movie. It is in the book yeah. and it is in the in the miniseries. As yeah, well. that he's that the you know that that the father is just this you know they're they're making him think oh yeah you were very important to us but he's really just the the method to get to the kid, and uh, and so, but there is that sense of you know. What is up with the kid? You know, the kid hears voices, and he writes, yeah, he writes, writes murder in the wind, and, and you know, and all that kind of crazy stuff's going on. So it's like, here he is. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if your kid's perfectly normal. If I'm taking a nap, I don't want him walking around my bedroom with a butcher knife. Right. I don't care whose kid it is. I don't care how cute they are. Your kid's not going to be hanging around my bedroom while I'm sleeping with a butcher knife. I don't think I'd leave the knife just laying there. While I'm sleeping, either. <laughs> no, I think true. if I'm in a situation where I, where I need a knife by my bed, I don't know if I'm getting to sleep anytime soon. Yeah. It's it's a hard choice. Do you sleep with the knife because that yeah. could be bad too. Yeah. Then you kind of go, oh, that didn't work out nearly as well as I thought it was going to. That's why sleeping with the, the, the people. The cliche of I sleep with a gun under my pillow. It's like, how do you not blow your brains out in that scenario? How do you not shoot yourself in the face? Don't you ever have the moment where you just jolt awake, like you're yeah. falling in your dream, and you just yeah 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 like. It's like yeah, I could see like reaching. I think the in guns on, have safeties, but well, you better have a yeah. safety if you're gonna sleep with it under your pillow. 
Oh. Murder. Red rum is murder backwards. I did totally not see that. How has there not been a red rum? How, how has no one manufactured red rum? Seems like, like, a, like a tie-in. It must be a either. trademark thing that they're like, we don't want to fucking pay Stephen King just to make booze. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it schnapps or whatever. It's funny. The, the, the whole payoff of the... It's a booze. It's not like people aren't going to buy it. The whole payoff of the red rum thing, which the movie has been building toward all this time, is completely deflated by two seconds later, he starts coming through the door with an axe. <laughs> so it's kind of like, gee, so the shocking writing of red rum and it being murder is completely deflated by the fact that a guy's coming through the door with Nilbog is goblin backwards. Ooh. God, I'm glad something exciting is about to happen because I thought we were going to run out. <laughs> now here comes, you know, the most iconic moment moment of the movie. Actually, it's it's when they're home. It's, it's, it's the bathroom. It's the next door. It's the next door where it happens. Apparently, uh, there, Vivian was, uh, Kubrick was talking in the documentary. Uh, Nicholson had had training as a, yeah, as a firefighter, this. and so, so he knew how to break down a door. He knew how to chop an axe through a door. And wow. the art department assumed he was just a fucking actor and wouldn't have any technique whatsoever. <laughs> oh no! So they never assume that Jack Nicholson isn't good with weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Just, he, he's look at his eyes. So so they had built a whole bunch of you know fake, easily breakable <laughs> doors for the scene. Well, she just and, and decimated, he, <laughs> she just blasted through them. Done. And so they had to quickly like make a real door that would you know take a little more out of him to actually get through. And even we, so, I mean he. He goes straight He's through that right through it. thing. Well, when you have, if you have a fire axe and you have any kind of skill with it, you, that's what it's for. <laughs> it's to go through doors. Axe before entering. Yeah. It's a trope. Really? When else has that happened? Probably since this movie, quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Let me load it up. Axe before entering. Wow, wow, wow. The trope maker is the 1921 Swedish film, uh, The Phantom Carriage. Although The Shining is a clear reference. Yeah. Uh, the Man Who Knew Too Little, Friday the 13th, Halloween. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. Uh, the Final Good. Sacrifice. See, he's he's about to, this whole thing, I I wish that that, that this were, I mean, it, it's, it still works as just being a weird little, you know, the, the juxtaposition of, of you know, his, his fairy tale, with the things he's saying versus what he's doing. But it would have been interesting if they had used the opportunity to go back and go, oh, We'll have a scene where he's telling, you know, telling uh, uh, his kid, reading him a bedtime story or something. Doesn't have to be Three Little Pigs. Just an indication that that's what he does. Right. And then, and or that then he's so, trying to be a good dad, so that way the scene is doing two things. Exactly. At once. And then this comes back where it's like, okay, that's in his brain, but his brain's not working right <laughs> anymore, and he's just he's just completely being insane. Yeah, while th- while thinking this is how to be a good dad, you know, because he's been so twisted by by yeah. the spirits. And once again, Shelley Duvall is like, again, I'm I'm no actor. Yeah, I bet I could do that scene. <laughs> it's like there's a guy. It's just like, you know, that's if 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 we want to attribute anything to the here here we go. Finally, here it is. If you want to attribute anything to the genius of Kubrick, it's just finding that angle yeah. and just going. This yeah. is gonna ride for as long as I want to make it ride. Because this is just great. I had a poster of this that that frame of that moment. And I put it up on the inside of my bathroom wall in college. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Perfect. Now, of course, it's a reference which doesn't have any meaning anymore, oddly right. enough. You know, it's like it's, it's you know, it's lost. Sure it does. It's from The Shining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the strange thing. It's like, here's Johnny. Oh, it's a reference to The Shining. What blows my uh, mind is... No. What blows my mind is that it was a reference that far back because I remember "Here's Johnny" from when I was a kid, when it was still yeah. Johnny Carson, and just the the idea that Johnny Carson was on that long, like I yeah. I remember that from the very early days of my childhood, but that was at the tail end of it being the Johnny Carson show, and oh, then wow. there's all this stretch of time before. 
Wow, in the chat room, I don't know if this is true or not, but Dr. Submarine says, here's Johnny was a reference to Johnny Carson, and yes. Kubrick didn't get it. Nicholson yeah. said, yes. just roll with me. Kubrick, because <laughs> yeah. Kubrick was Kubrick, in the UK. He didn't yeah. watch yeah. The Tonight Show. Uh, I think it took the editor, you know, he wanted to use a different take, and I think the editor was like, no, no, no. This no, you have to use the here's Johnny. <laughs> Would you like to be the guy who's like, yes, I'm the one who had to talk Kubrick into using the here's Johnny take, yeah. you know, the most iconic number. I just, just uh, talking about references, are weird. I'm just going to, Fill some time and feel free to cut me off like you usually do. Boom. But thank you. Oh, here we go. Mm. Scatman Crothers is about to pay off <laughs> in a most so sad. So, okay. so he got on the plane. Yeah. He, he was apparently so, on the plane and he got, he so got his drink. We, 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 uh, apparently they cut out the, the scintillating negotiating the rental price of the snowplow <laughs> scene. But uh, that was just for time. Oh, look, in Jurassic Park reference. Um, anyway, I was playing World of Warcraft last night. Yeah, I did. And uh, and and there's a there was a quest called... Orgers on women in the mood, and 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 someone someone on a on a there's a you know sites that'll explain like you know how to do quests and so on, and they always have to say what the reference was, and someone says, well that's clear because it's from a character who always says these references to Futurama, and so I saw it, it was like immediately I saw you know yeah that's that's a reference to Amazon Women in the Mood, it's one of the first season Futurama episodes, and then I got to thinking, wait, but Amazon Women in the Mood, which is the Futurama episode, was a reference. To Amazon Women in the Moon, which was a spoof movie made in the early uh, 90s, which was a reference to Amazon Women, literally Amazon Women in the Moon, the B-movie. So, like, that's a four-level reference. That's Warcraft making a reference to Futurama, which is making a reference to a spoof movie, which is making reference to a real B-movie. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I can't think of another four-level reference, but, uh, but uh, I think that's the first four-level reference I've ever encountered. So it's here's references here, all the way down. Here's just references all the way down. So here's Johnny is a two-level reference, yeah. um, which uh, younger kids today don't even know the second level of. It's just sad, sad, really. It's got to be more like that. Let me think about it. <laughs> yeah, chat room, get to work. Can you think of a reference to a reference to a reference to a reference other than that one? So yeah, here's apparent. I mean the. Uh, the kitchen would, I guess, be on the other side of the lobby, but we just saw oh my God. Guess what? We I, saw other things happening. Who yeah. knows how much time has passed? Yeah, that's right. They, re- they had time to rebuild the hotel. Yeah. Now, here we go. Scatman Crothers, <laughs> my God. Scatman Crothers was on this movie for weeks. <laughs> this bow-legged Scat, dude. There was a whole second unit with Scatman Crothers just, like, yeah. riding around the country. Just drive. Okay, get in the thing and drive around in the snowcat and... And then, and uh, <laughs> this uh, is already the shot where he's gonna die. Yeah. It's already over. Wait for it. He's like he's just walking right on through. And like, Doesn't he literally just come out of the side of the frame? Yeah, he's just yeah. gonna come running in, just like with an axe. Any second, uh, but, but yeah. you're sitting. But you, you're that's what we're doing. You wait for yeah. it. But what's yeah. weird is it actually just does it. You're like he's gonna jump out with. Oh, he he jumped out with an axe. Like, yeah. uh, I called that one. I guess I saw that one coming. Yeah. Wow, they are milking this. I yeah, yeah. I've forgotten they milked this that much. Yeah, but it's what's weird is they just you know. It, they pay it off so suddenly and abruptly, like yeah. Is it, well, it's another great example of you know, every moment you don't cut adds a little bit of tension. Yeah. So yeah. every one of these little it's moments is crazy. just amping it up a bit by bit by bit. How'd you like to? Did, I mean this, <laughs> and there you go. It's like there, the end. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah, and that's a wrap on Scatman Brothers, everybody. <laughs> but it's oh, this this is a great shot. Oh, black dude dies first trope. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Actually, but, I, but let's give The Shining the credit that the even though the black guy did die first, we're still, what, two hours into the movie? Yeah, yeah. it took a while. 
Actually, no, I, my, I disagree with that trope because I was that the real trope is black guy dies last. Black guy, which is in this case is true. Um, the black guy is the guy that almost makes it to the end. But he's he he he's the one who dies last just before everyone else survives, and often he does it to save the others. That's the trope. Really? I'm not sure. I know. Well, I know yeah, that it's. A, I know it. that it's a watch long. For it. it happens enough times where it's like I recognize uh, it. That, that could could be a trope, but there is a, a trope in slasher movies where it's usually the black guy who gets killed first. Yeah, or at least there well, used to be until everyone knew about that. Yeah, I was. Well, I, I, even in X Men First Class, it happens, and it's like really, really. I was. I was thinking it would be. It would be fun to do a slasher movie where. Um, it's either all black people and they're no, freaked out. No, it's, on, on it's, Reddit. Oh no, on Reddit the other day, the, what, somebody posted a picture of a DVD cover of some straight to DVD right. tiny thing, and it was like the whole cast on the top of the uh, the cover. Hey, Stanley. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's this moment again. This this scene is gonna like wait what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, every you know everybody on the DVD cover was was black, and so the right. qu- the the link title was which one of them is gonna yeah. die first? I would have I would have had. They were they're all black except the one white guy that they're all trying to hang out with <laughs> because he's gonna make it. Or or the opposite, it's all white people and there's there's the black guy that they're always like trying to stand behind because he'll get it first. You know, anytime anytime they gotta walk down a long hallway, they push him first just to 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 get which is to, which of course the the at the end he would be the one who survives because fuck the rest of them. We jump jump back a second <laughs> to that uh, that wonderfully twisted little moment we just had with Shelley. That moment and, from Donnie Darko. Yes, with exactly. the bears blowing the butler guy. Yeah, the you know, and and thus the furry movement was born. But, <laughs> That's what uh, I thought. I'm like, yeah, oh. well, it was like proto furries. That was like 1930s era furries. Um, I I guess it, you know it is kind of like ah with the close up and and you know the snap zoom. It's like I I think it's a bit much. I would have rather you know just that sense of like down the hall, like oh jeepers, there was um, something really fucking. Yeah, that's weird what there's that, that's so many kinds of wrong right now. <laughs> that's, there's there's how many levels of wrong am I looking at right now? But the um. The, it's weird because she saw that, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Then and again, it's it's sort of implied, but the movie's now nearly over. That, and I think I think the book brought that out more because that that scene's kind of like a one off that kind of doesn't pay off in any particular way. Um, as I recall in the book, it's like as as the hotel is like you know driving Jack Jack to go crazier and crazier. That the hotel starts to really like find its power and manifest all kinds of things, and now to the point where. The Shelley Duvall, the mom, starts to see them too. Like you know, it's not just not just the kid, and it's not just the father that they've been focusing on. But now she's running through this like bizarro jumble of all these weird different incidents of the hotel are all spilling on top of each other, which the movie just does the one, and yeah. then it's over. You know, well, that <coughs> well, goes back to what we were saying before. It's like the the whatever rule book exists here it's not you know yeah. i don't think Kubrick cared at all so it's not really yeah. clear what's what's going on cuz this is the more important part and i'm yeah. watching this i'm watching this last night and i'm 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 there you know cuz of the way it's shot it's shot very subjectively which is great but you know feeling there in the maze and i'm like that is the last place i'd want to be with a fucking axe murderer chasing me <laughs> yeah. cuz who knows cuz neither of us know where the other person is we could turn a corner and run into each other yeah. trying to escape or whatever plus you're limited and he has an axe right and then yeah. but then he's then, in bushes with an axe <laughs> yeah he could just come exactly. through the bushes at you <laughs> and then it, he has an axe and then it shows the footprints and and i didn't even think of that and i'm like fuck that's even worse <laughs> Wait a minute! Because he knows where you are, and you don't know me. where he is. He's, he could just follow my goddamn but then, footprints. But then, but then the the kid is smart, and yeah. actually, uh, the, you know, again, you can you can almost uh, say he sees what's in his dad's mind, although they don't make a big deal of it. But he's like, there we go. He's like, oh, my dad's chasing me using my footprints. So uh, okay, so know. she sees two things. Yeah, you know. But again, it's it's 
It's it's still not enough to establish a pattern. Yeah, and and, and yeah. again, it's it's Kubrick so not caring about making the standard movie yeah. that you would yeah. think this whole scene that freaks your know, shit out, right? Okay, yeah, it's in. okay, right. But you know, we could have done like five hundred of those, and it would have been like the you know, like a right. chamber of horrors. But no, I'm not doing that. Um, now, admittedly, this this maze is a great scene, and again, another iconic scene. Um, you know, I was just watching. I borrowed uh, Teague's space DVDs, and sure enough, uh, they they recreate this scene. In fact, the very first visual recreated reference in the entire series of Space is The Shining. Um, they do the two little girls, but there we go. Uh, and this one's kind of like the lame one. It's kind of like, wait, what? Yeah, what this is, is this the, one? The Disneyland haunted mansion. Yeah, what is the meaning of that exactly? I, I like mean, the I like the butler with the with the standing there with the glasses of champagne. Yeah, that one's like what what what? It's again, that's a that's a one of these things is not like the others kind of a thing. It's the I can might have. That might have worked if it had been one of those creepy moments where, like, all of the the skulls turn and yeah, look if at they her moved, or something. if they were like alive yeah. and did something. Zarvan yeah. just coined something that I'm going to use a lot. He says, "Why the fuck is she running around at random?" GTFO, B. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally see. You know, we talked about you know when you're on the set and just the grind of the day. And I think Trey told uh, mentioned the Wizard of Oz picture yeah. that he had seen at one point where. It's just, some guy on the set of Wizard of Oz with this look on his face like... Yeah, he was a tree. He was a tree, and he's waving the tree back and forth, and he looks out at the camera like, fucking hell. I can just picture somebody on the Shining set that day setting up those skeletons going, this movie's going to be so fucking stupid. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. But that is the lamest of them all. I mean, it's so much... And then she gets to see the blood, finally. But we've already paid off the blood. I mean, I think the blood... We set up the blood, and the blood has no payoff. It's like... The blood is just symbolic. It's, really, it's. I, f- I really disagree with the choice of cutting to the. Someone's the first scary image we have in the movie. It's like suddenly there it is, and it totally blows. I mean, if she literally just came around the corner and there's a, there's a, you know, there's the elevator, and what's going to come out of the elevator, and then just this torrent of blood, torrent yeah. of blood comes at you, it would have been shocking. But we've already seen it, so it's like it's been totally diffused. We've seen it more than once. So it's funny. I, I I guess you know she does get a little bit of the Chamber of Horrors thing, but it's so isolated and it's so like, it feels so last minute. It's like, right. um, is that extra dude? Okay, put some blood on him. And yeah, we'll they're have him they're in already. The I mean, and a room full of skeletons or something. You know. Yeah, that the movie has already gone outside to happen without her, and it's just like we need yeah. something for her to do. She's gonna you know run into skeletons and scream. Yeah, yeah. We have to give her something to do because we can't actually have her join the rest of the movie <laughs> right, right yeah. now. Yeah. If if it were part of if they were if this were still happening in the hotel if they hadn't gone into the maze yet and she's running into this chamber of horrors thing then yeah, it the would timing feel of a it is, is if she was trying to get to Danny if the, if the if the if the run through the chamber of horrors ended with finding Scatman Crothers dead yeah. and the yeah. door open and they're outside oh my god or, or something that, that would actually the, that would actually be a great thing. construction because you know she sees all this this weird shit that can't possibly yeah. be real and then there's a real dead guy and there's a real dead guy she's. I I I watched that moment like where she screams. I was like, I really hope she's screaming because he's dead, and not because he's black. That's all I. That's all I'm thinking. A black guy broke it, in. It, exactly. <laughs> a dead black guy broke in. He's here. been doing this. Black zombies. <laughs> I hate him. The black zombies would be a great name for a punk band. <laughs> the black zombies. Isn't there one called like the white zombies or something? White zombie. White oh, zombies. White a band, zombie. Yeah. White zombie. Yeah. I don't know. I can't tell them apart. Why can't Why can't there <laughs> be know. black zombie then? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I don't see music color. <laughs> oh, Kyle says Rob Zombie's first band. Rob Zombie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, all, right. 
All right, Jack, kill or get killed. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen pretty it's, soon. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of set design too. It's like how much maze do you have to build? Not much. Yeah, yeah. You look at the <laughs> you look at the little uh, the map that they've got of of the maze that they actually built, and it's like that's not a lot of maze. Yeah. It's just confusing enough that you you run in circles and and it'll look like a hell of a maze. And apparently, you know, uh, even though they handed out maps, people were constantly getting lost yeah, in this just thing. As little as it was, like. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some antidote that the, that the spatial Drop analysis the guy actually use, uses uses, um, oh but it's it's a good antidote on its own. Where you know the crew would would walk into this maze and then immediately get lost and, <laughs> and turned around and they would they would scream out Stanley and they <laughs> they said the crew members say you could just hear his booming laughter from somewhere <laughs> inside the maze, just laughing at them for get, having <laughs> gotten lost. I'm a genius <laughs> and you're not. I bet he got lost a lot, but he played it off. He was yeah, like, I, was I never got lost. I was, see, wa- see, I was going on a long walk. You thought think. he was lost, but actually, yeah. he's a genius. <laughs> so he wasn't lost at all. And I can, you know, I can, I could give this bit a, a bit of, uh, you know, um, film school affectation in the sense where I'm like, okay, yeah, he's lost in the maze forever, and he's, he's you know, it's the maze represents his madness or what, you know, yada yada. I can totally, I can totally see that being a conscious choice before they even went into production. It's yeah. like when they're ma- when they're building the maze, it's like why yeah, are they we wrote building some this theme maze? into it. it? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I, and and that that's always the issue is because it's it's finding that line between legitimate and total bullshit. Yeah. It's like, where exactly on that line do you go from one to the other? It's That's th- really hard to, to gauge. I think I think it's a... it's Usually in film criticism, it's right in the door. It's right. once you get there. It <laughs> involves... I, I think it involves the amount of preparation that, that it would take. Because it's like, with the maze, you got to build the maze. you got to yeah. know why you're building it, what it means to your right. movie, and what it means to the story. So that you would have thought through. When it comes to getting a shot on the day... You're probably not going to think that hard about it, right? Yeah. Now it's then here again. It's like the movie gives us this ending instead of the book's ending, which right. is where the hotel explodes and all that kind of stuff. And it's weird again of all the you know how you make a movie rules that have you know, weren't quite as set in stone in 1980, but still certainly existed. Is you know, where, where was the final showdown? Where was the she didn't even like ever you know she was with the knife and she never and then what and what and then he's uh, and he froze that. You know, it's like it doesn't have any of the things, the elements of a climax. It's like they get away, and yeah. he's lost in the maze. The movie doesn't really end. It and just kind of stops. That was yeah. actually really an and awkward again, cut. Like, he doesn't yeah. sit down. There's there's no, yeah, does, it's there's no moment cut. where, like, yeah. he settles or the camera settles on him and go, okay, that's it. It's just he's still stumbling, and he's stumbling for about a good minute. And then, body. Yep. And, then there's a, and then there's a shot cut. And the shot cut works because you, it, it's shocking because you go, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the movie's I over. I guess you did yeah, that. I then. mean, huh? And then this is, uh, you know, this is a, ama- you know, pity the four focus puller on this shot, but yeah. uh, <laughs> we're going into like an inch away from a photograph. Um, and what my point is, though, it's not like, and therefore it sucks. Is like, it works. It's okay. And I'm just saying that again, Kubrick, you know, like so, like few other people, was able to do that and just go, I'm going to make the t- most uncinematic ending I could think of, and uh, you know, and you're still going to call me a genius. Ha ha! Damn, so focus puller, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although focus it, puller, you scary. Nowadays, the the sensible way to do that would be to start here and go backwards. Yes, which maybe that's how they did it. Yeah, but, uh, done that. Yeah, we saw, have, we yeah. saw it, Stanley. Don't undersell yourself. Yeah. 
If you're gonna do that, you could have done it a while ago. I, I love how the one girl behind him has her eyes closed. That's a nice yeah. touch. That's such a that's such a realistic looking crowd. That's such a no. This yeah. is this that is apparently really, a real photo that they that they that stuck they, him into. Oh, really? Because yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's people don't look like that anymore. Yeah. He was gonna do he was gonna do a whole thing where he where he shot a. a you know, got a bunch of extras and shot. Well, they, this. I was gonna say they and must then, have shot this when they shot that big ballroom yeah, scene. Then, They're like, those people know. No, no yeah. that's not. He, I guess they found this photo, and he's like, can't do better than the real thing. Yeah. We're just gonna put his head on the guy in yeah, front. And just, finally, yeah. nostalgia heaven. Yes, he, did, he goes to nostalgia heaven. Holy where, shit, where shining. The, where the <laughs> or nostalgia hell? Holy shit, shining. But yeah, can we be done with with Kubrick for a while? Well, we haven't. We are done with Kubrick. There's tits in that one. There's tits in that. Haven't done Lolita. No, I'm saying we take. It's not like we've we've just rolled through Kubrick. No, I know. We've done two. Yeah. It's just. uh, We're done three. When was the last? I guess Doctor Strange Love. Strange Love. Two thousand one. This. Which means we're halfway through his entire body of work, practically. So you know. Yeah. Shit. Anyway, this is. I got nothing. We've discussed the shit out of it. That's, <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel about this movie. I think it's got its incredibly iconic moments, and it's got performance moments that work, and a lot of performance moments that would have been perhaps better if done another way, but then it wouldn't have been The Shining. It would have been a better movie. No, no, no. It, it wouldn't have been The Shining. It would have been something that Stanley Kubrick didn't make, and that's the weird flavor you come to these movies for, and that's the weird flavor that he usually leaves in your mouth. Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I don't know what weird flavor you that. have in your mouth. Yeah. Um, it was a bear. <laughs> this is like bear. Uh, Garrett Brown. Back when Garrett Brown was the steady cam operator in the world. Yeah, when that was it. It yeah. was just that man with that thing. Personal assistant to the director. Nice. Ooh. Uh, you know, uh, Kubrick, Kubrick was amazing. Kubrick, I think, does, in fact, despite all of our discussion, you know, perhaps disparaging other people giving him this, this label, I do think he is a genius or was a genius. And I think this is in a amazing movie for what it's doing i think he made exactly the movie that he wanted to make and i don't think there's any dispute about about that um but i don't think there's ever a dispute about no. that no. with his movie no, no. um but Cause how could you tell if he did it right or wrong in the weird kubrick scale where it's like no that makes sense because of this if he, yeah if he, he's the guy he's the guy who'll work on a movie for like 10 years it's like if the movie got released it's the one he meant to make one way or the other. For the most part. And I mean even even Kubrick, the the, the archetype of the the filmmaker perfectionist, I'm sure if, you know, you had sat him down in front of this, uh, he would go, Oh fuck that thing. Oh, yeah. no, that, that's the best we could do. That's the best we could do after that seven days of that, that setup. God Shelly sucks, doesn't she? Uh, oh, I can uh, never just never get it there. It just looks phony, Shelly. It just looks phony. <laughs> uh um, it. So Kubrick is rightfully so uh, a giant in the field. Just it's just a matter of don't don't turn a genius into a god. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, I, I guess, the the point I would like to impart. Please, am I right? <laughs> it, I'm just a guy. I'm just, yeah. The, the, the thing is, it's like, I think there's a quality going back to what we were talking about a little before. It's we we kind of gravitate towards artists who tend to, who happen to be these characters because it's more about that person as a, as a character in and of themselves, the like Tarantino, the mystique of that is they don't seem human. Kubrick doesn't yeah. seem human as a person because of his extreme personality. And the same with Tarantino or Andy Warhol or, or whoever else. And it's a matter of like, at the end of the day, these guys were very eccentric and they were very smart and they were very artistic and sensitive, but they were still human beings. And just don't... Orson Welles also. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Very Orson much, yeah. M- much, much larger than life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very, very eccentric, very extreme personality. Um the difference, though, is that Kubrick wasn't very public. 
And I think that Which makes think him all the more. The that makes yeah. him all the more. He was the monk on the mountaintop. Because you know, it's, he, it's he, the, he didn't it's do interviews. Yeah. yeah, he was like, oh, he, oh, he was thinking some deep, deep thoughts. Well, it's the same. You know, we say, you know, the horror that you don't put on the screen, you you fill it in with your yeah. imagination. I think it's the same way with people. Yeah. You, we don't have the sad, like, oh God, look at Orson Welles all bloated there two days before he died. Interview right. of Kubrick and, and, and doing the that. commercial for wine or the pretentious, like, here's what I was going for. Let me explain everything in my head. Right. You know, so it's like it's it's a blank slate that the internet. Much less the here's what I was going for. I'll do it now. Yes. Yeah. It's the blank slate that the internet was just born to fill, whether yeah. it's full of bullshit or not. Do you so, like The Shining? I do like The Shining, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm not as, I'm not personally deifying Kubrick the way I once was when I was younger. So it's, you know, it's not this infallible piece of Kubrick genius that's, I, you know, I was once kind of like that guy. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, not anymore. Um but I still do like it. And, you know, at the, this raw, emotional, visceral level, there's just these moments that you you can't beat. And Kubrick does them, does them better than anybody else. Michael, yeah. has this made you like or dislike this film? Um, this conversation, in favor, out of favor. <laughs> Neither. I'm just where riding, I was riding before. the line and chocolate I'm, or vanilla. Yeah, I'm I'm where I was before. I I I think it's a a good solid film. It's legitimately scary and and tense in a way that. That a lot of uh, so-called horror movies today aren't for you know they go for the gross out and they go for showing you everything and the real horror like you said is is in you're imagining it or you're you're like oh god any second now you know <laughs> um, and this movie has that in spades and and like we said earlier um, it follows the plot and it gets the feel I think of of the book across in a lot of ways but it doesn't quite hit the you know the tell the story of the characters and. Um, that's that's the bit that's kind of missing. It's not really about characters. It's just about this this guy who goes crazy and he's got to cut up someone. So here's a couple of people <laughs> to be around to get cut up. Um, uh, but it is it is a, a really great movie. It's a really fascinating movie because Kubrick, you know, visually uh, uh, does a lot of fascinating stuff. Whether it necessarily makes sense or not, or whether he he meant to or not, it's it's interesting to. It's interesting to look at, not necessarily say this is why Kubrick did it, because who even knows? Um, only Kubrick did, and he's gone. Um, and maybe he didn't even know. Maybe he just did it. Uh, but it is interesting to to look at a movie like this and go, why am I responding to this? And that's the important part, and that's that's the part that's really instructive if you're interested in in uh, being a you know being a filmmaker and trying to emulate some of that you know adding that vocabulary to to your repertoire and saying this is why I respond to this this is why that works I'm not going to do this exact shot but you know in a, in a similar situation I can I can get this feeling across because now I understand what it is so it's it, like all of Kubrick's stuff it's worth studying and I like it and it's I'm glad we did it for Scary Movie Month yeah. Trey. I, I haven't watched it, uh, hadn't watched it in a while, so it was kind of even at this, uh, you know, semi-watching it. Again, just being struck by, by how, if you look at it on at face value, you go, it's so slow-moving, mm-hmm. and yet it freaking works. I mean, you know, it's like it's, it's something about the slow-movingness is part of the mystique of the, of the film. Um, it is interesting because I don't think I've ever really heard it articulated until, until here, and now I'm, it's... It seems kind of sacrilegious to say, you know, the real problem with signing was the, you know, yeah. they should have got the, you know, different lead, because it's like you can't dissociate Nicholson with The Shining. It's probably one of the roles that that and Jessup, you can't handle the truth. Is probably the, the two roles that people think of him immediately, you know, in. But it's like I think I think yeah, I think it would have been a, a totally different movie with different casting in the lead. Everything else exactly the same, 
you know, just with a different actor in the lead that that brought you know that just didn't have that Some warmth in that, the beginning that, that brought the range that, yeah. that you could assuming he'd been allowed to. I mean, because you know, Kubrick was right there behind the lens when he goes, "Be mean to your family. Yeah. This is your introduction scene. Be mean to them." Um, so we can only assume that he wanted that to be the case. You know, we, 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 we don't know this you know, conversation where Nick was like, really, you want me to be a dick to them? I mean, shouldn't I, you know, no. So, you know, maybe that wouldn't have made a difference. You know, maybe, you know, Kubrick presumably got exactly what he wanted and who he wanted for the role and got the, got the performance he wanted. But uh, for me, the movie would have been improved, you know, just speaking for myself and not Kubrick, is, is what we said. I think that's the biggest single, one single change that would make this, you know, a much more satisfying film is a sympathetic guy who becomes... Jack Nicholson at the end would have would made this really made this a true classic. That is something scary to imagine. <laughs> this has been Down in Front. You can always find more episodes at downinfront.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You get a brand new episode every single week. Twitter.com slash Down in Front. Facebook Down in Front Show. Email us at Down in Front Show at gmail.com. Go to the forum, downinfront.net slash forum. Part of the conversation. It's the community of people. It's getting better every week. But, you know, fucking live show. Downinfront.net slash live. But the forum tells you when. Blah, 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 blah. Amazon. We don't even know what the hell's going on with Amazon. Don't buy our shirts. Uh, but if you feel like donating, we're not asking, just saying. But there's a PayPal button on the front page. Matt Fade Video Show. It's a chapter break in iTunes. Holden Hill Design. I'm the website. My name is T. Christie. Ryan Finifer. Yada, yada. Yeah, whatever. And blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. Good night, good night. Trendsinyourhead.com.